Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of Kumo tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Welcome in, coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. That's right. Clay Travis is somewhere in Los Angeles where it was 1,000 degrees last night during the World Series, and the Dodgers somehow were 2,000 degrees good in their Game 1 victory. I am Jason Martin, executive producer of this fine radio program on Twitter, at jmartoutkick, joined by seven-year NFL veteran on the offensive line, Jeff Schwartz. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Schwartz. And he is not a Dodger fan at all, trying to needle him last <laughs> night, playing troll. Jeff, what was that Madison Baumgartner tweet? Was that necessary? Oh, no, it was very necessary, and Dodger fans did not like it, which was exactly <laughs> the point of that tweet. And they, they, first of all, they took it very seriously because, you know, Clayton Kershaw pitched fantastic last night. He set all sorts of records, but he only threw 83 pitches, and they took him out after seven innings. And the Giants would have never taken out Madison Bumgarner. He would have pitched the entire game. He would have got a complete game. Um, and so I just thought I, that point was valid to bring up at that, at that juncture of the game. Did you get any? How much hate mail did you get last night on Twitter from Dodger fan? You know how the you know when you tweet something and the and the ratio of replies to retweets is like fifteen to one. That's what it, that's what it was like. Not a lot of retweets and lots of angry Dodger fans. A lot of people just didn't get it. There were some fans that enjoyed the trolling, but people were trying to argue with me about the bullpen differences between the Dodgers and the Giants. I'm like, I I know I follow base. I know the Dodgers have a great bullpen. I know the Giants did not have one in 2014. I, I get all that, but I'm I'm trying to make a point about how much I do not like the Dodgers. It's understandable. I mean, as a Giants fan, and you certainly went all out last night, and it was it was entertaining to watch from afar. There were a couple of guys. Our guy Barrett Salee last night taking shots at Tennessee uh, from CBS from his account last night. I saw him get into it. I saw you getting into it. I saw Lonzo Ball dealing with Marcin Gortat going after him about John Wall, and that's going to happen tonight. That ought to be fun. I don't know how many people are going to watch Lakers uh, Wizards tonight against Game 2, but... 
Game one was all about Clayton Kershaw. This was ridiculous. You know what? Dallas Keuchel wasn't awful. Like, he pitched fairly well, although he had to pitch out of some situations where he put guys on base, but he had guys hit into multiple double plays. Seemed to be in pretty good control after the first swing, but uh, I know Danny's going to love playing these highlights. He's probably been chomping at the bit to play these again. I'm sure he's played them all morning long, but let's hear him again, starting with the first Dodger swing of the World Series from Chris Taylor. And on the first pitch, Chris Taylor hits it out. Michael gave up 15 home runs during the regular season in 146 innings. In one pitch, the Dodgers take a one to nothing lead. So, one to nothing on one swing. It was over 100 degrees, 103 degrees at one point last night in this game, which is utterly absurd for nearly nearly the end of October. I don't care if it's Los Angeles. That's that's ridiculous. That had to be miserable. Because no one expects at this time of year to be dealing with that. I walked in this morning here in Nashville in 45 degree weather. It was over. It was almost 60 degrees warmer last night at the World Series. They're saying it likely was the warmest World Series game in the history of the Fall Classic. And again, didn't take long for Clayton Kershaw to warm up as he just started knocking down Astros. But he did get tagged once. Alex Bregman tied it up. This one's belted. Left field, sending Kike back. He'll look up. Gone! Ties it up. Alex Bregman with a line shot to left field. It's one-to-one. Danny, at this point, how are you feeling? i got to bring in Danny G, our Dodgers honk number one, who's been a <laughs> Dodgers honk long before they were winning record kind of games. I, I feel real happy for you right now after this. Oh, yeah. But after Bregman's home run, I mean, obviously, look, look. after Chris Taylor hits it, let's go back. After Chris <laughs> Taylor hits the home run, take me through your emotions. Uh, I was I was already jumping up and down in my living room. I couldn't believe it. First pitch, and it already felt like everything was going to go the Dodgers way. And that thing was a shot, too. Oh, yeah. Like, that was not just barely clearing the wall. They showed the replay. Did that thing leave Chavez Ravine completely? Oh, almost. I mean, obviously the, the heat helped it. But, yeah, it went all the way to the back of the pavilion. So then, and then Bregman hits his home run. Take me through your reaction there, because this series, we're going to talk about this all through the World Series based on your reactions as a Dodger fan. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not surprising. Kershaw's giving up. He's given up a home run in his last nine starts, at least one home run. And in a couple of games, he gave up like four home runs. So he's given up some dingers this season. But what's great about Kershaw is he, he really brushes it off and gets right back to striking out the next batter. So We've given Tony Romo a lot of props on this show, and deservedly so, for what he's doing as an analyst. I absolutely love listening to this guy. I want to give John Smoltz credit again for how great he is in the booth. And one of the things that he did leads us to our next highlight, which is the Justin Turner home run, because in the sixth inning, Smoltz said that this series is going to be determined by whether or not the Astros can have a lead in the sixth inning. Well, they didn't. They were in a tie situation in the top of the sixth. They were unable to do anything against Kershaw. And then in the bottom of the sixth, and basically as soon as this happened, feels like the game's over because you look at the discrepancy in the bullpens where the Astros during the postseason were were five-plus in their relief situations from an ERA standpoint, and the Dodgers were under a one. I think they were right there around a .9, a 0.9. So you could not give them the lead late and expect that the Astros were going to be able to hit. Even though the Yankees had a good bullpen and the Astros touched them up up enough to win, 
Justin Turner made this much harder in the bottom of the sixth inning off of Dallas Keuchel when he did this. Here's a 1-2. He stays put. And a fly ball to left field. It's deep. Back at the wall. And it's gone! A two-run home run! Marwin Gonzalez runs out of room. Turner runs around the bases. And the Dodgers take a 3-1 lead. 3-1, and that's how it would end as the Astros just could not do any more on offense. They played pretty good defense, especially in the middle infield, but they just didn't have quite enough as Turner's two-run home run is enough to make it a 3-1 to game. They win it 3-1, to and Jeff, everybody was in bed and could have seen every pitch by this by 10 o'clock. This was one of the fastest-moving baseball games I have ever seen, especially in the postseason. It was a pitching duel, which certainly made it easier to do something like that. There weren't a ton of changes, but this thing felt like it was on a high-speed rail. It was absolutely flying by. I loved it. It was two hours and 28 minutes, and there were no mistakes. It was a crisp game play. I mean, I think the only thing I remember that was somewhat of a mistake, I Seager th- tried to th- field the ball and threw it to second base in the ninth inning. I think it was the ninth That's inning. Right. Or maybe it was the seventh. It was the seventh when Kershaw, um, the inning that he tends to struggle in the postseason, he kind of rolled it to second base. That's the only mistake. The defense was crisp. Obviously, the, the pitching was excellent. And I think what impressed me, and by the way, I'll put this claim right there, Anything nice I say about the Dodgers is not an endorsement of the Dodgers franchise whatsoever. <laughs> so I'll get that out of the way because I know I'll have friends in L.A. that will clip some of this audio and say, look, you're a Dodger fan. Um, the Dodgers, what impresses me about them besides the pitching is they're so locked into plate right now, they are not missing mistakes. Anytime throughout the postseason a pitcher has thrown a mistake, the Dodgers have jumped all over it, whether it's Taylor, whether it's Justin Turner. Um, it's really impressive to watch because they're playing at such a high level that – the Astros, whoever it is, the Astros, the Cubs, they've had to be on their game every single pitch, every single at-bat. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They just When you're not making mistakes, then there's no room for error. And last night, even in a pretty well-played game by both teams, certainly a pitcher's duel, that was a situation where the Dodgers were able to put Kershaw on the mound, the guy that they wanted there, and because of the length of the ALCS, you would assume Verlander probably would have pitched game one had things been reversed, but they just flat out had to change things around. So you'll get Verlander against Rich Hill tonight. Danny, how are you feeling about game two in this situation? Obviously, the Dodgers need to win at home, but Verlander has been nearly unhittable yeah. since he's gotten to Houston. I mean, his postseason numbers and, and just his numbers since he went to Houston have been crazy, but... You look at his World Series numbers, not so good. True. Although a lot of people are pointing to earlier in the regular season, the Dodgers were on a, a hell of a run, and then they bump into Verlander, and he was lights out against the Dodgers. So at least for one game this past season, Verlander had the Dodgers numbers. So Dodger fans are a little wary about that just because we remember what it was like going up against them, you know, the one time we faced them this past season. So we'll see. I mean, the like Jeff said, though, they are so locked in at the plate that you got to figure Verlander's at least going to make a, a few mistakes. So we'll see if the Dodgers can capitalize on that. I'm thinking it's going to be a low-scoring low game tonight. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So how was Los Angeles yesterday just to be a resident of that city and drive around? How much blue was there? How much intensity was there? Did you walk into a gas station and people talking about the Dodgers? Just how was the just the feeling and the vibe 
across California and certainly in the L.A. area yesterday. Pretty electric. I mean, on every radio station I tuned to, they were talking about it. They were giving away tickets. People were screaming on the air during these contests. Who was giving away tickets? Uh, a f- quite a few of the radio stations here wow. in Los Angeles were they were Couldn't battling sell, huh? each other. Yeah, giving away tickets. <laughs> um, and I went to uh, an In-N-Out drive-through about an hour before game time, and there Good were for you. there were four. Yeah, that's official Dodger food. There were four cars with Dodger flags. Uh, the guy uh, working the drive-through had a Dodgers cap on. I'm driving down the street. There was a, another guy walking with a Dodgers shirt. I mean, everywhere you turn in our city, you see blue right now. How do we feel about flag guy on the car? Are we are we pro flag guy? Do you have flags? Do you have a no. Dodger flag? Jason, no. Jason, Los Angeles is the home of flags when teams are playing well. They are everywhere. Lakers are Lakers are winning. Here come the flag, the car flags. Dodgers are winning. Yep. Here come the car flags. Kings. It's insane. Yeah, you see Can, LA Kings LA, flags. Like, like, yep, they're just. They they just wait until they, they have them in their in their house somewhere. As soon as the team starts winning, I've never seen a city that that has more car flags than Los Angeles. Well, do you like the car flag situation when you're driving around, or are you not a fan? I had a car flag for UCLA when I was a kid, so I'm not sure I can say that I don't like them. But as an adult, I would never have I would never put one on my truck ever. So uh, obviously, my dad just indulged me when I was a kid. Danny. Car flags? Justin, car flags? I'm not a fan of putting things on my car. Like at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like to keep my car clean. So yeah, it, I mean, so do I. So you mean like stickers, anything yeah. like that, even on the windows? Yeah, I think you don't it have looks, any Pirelli uh, stickers no. on your cars? <laughs> I think, to me personally, I think it's tacky when people have things like that on their cars. No, I pretty much agree with you. But I'm sure there were flags everywhere, and they deserve to be. It's been such a long time since this has happened. Uh, from what I saw, you know, I read this. I actually missed this if they showed it on TV last night. But when Vince Gully, they kind of played him over the loudspeaker saying it's time for Dodgers baseball. Everybody seemed to go crazy in that building. And congratulations, Los Angeles, for showing up early. Obviously maligned <laughs> a lot of the time because of traffic and buttressing up on the West Coast against an East Coast television schedule and trying to start things before the crack of dawn for the East Coast. Everybody getting there late and leaving there early. Seemed like Chavez was the place to be last night, and L.A. got there early, Danny. Your city represented well. Yeah, we talked about this on the show yesterday. A lot of people got half days off at work, and the freeways here were packed starting at 1, 1.30 in the afternoon. So the um, you know the mission to get to Dodger Stadium started early, and most people got inside with enough time to spare, although I heard a traffic report on our flagship AM570 about a half hour before game time, and she basically said, the the traffic lady, if you're not in the stadium by now, you're screwed because every artery to the stadium is completely at a standstill right now. So there were a few people that just got stuck, you know, in that final hour before game time, but uh, most Dodger fans... Well, you think about it. They paid over a thousand dollars for each ticket just for nosebleed seats. So you're not gonna you're not gonna waste that money. Tons to get to today. We're gonna break down this game certainly all morning long here on Outkick the coverage. Clay Travis will be back tomorrow. He's in LA. He taped the Rabin report yesterday. He taped an episode of the Adam Carolla podcast, I think, that's going to drop today. He was very excited, even though I would not be if I were him after seeing the photo of him and Adam Carolla on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if anyone else saw this. Clay does not dress up for appearances. Now, I know this was a radio appearance, but man, 
I mix in a comb, Clay. Like seriously, this was this was a struggle. But a lot of people are going to listen to that. He's really excited to uh, have you hear that. So certainly look for it. Follow him on Twitter at Clay Travis. Also, Bruce Arians news. Is he or is he not going to be with the Cardinals next year? And I saw you tweet about this last night. We're going to talk about it a good bit. Dwight Freeney back in the NFL with the Seahawks, yes. which doesn't seem fair, I think is how you tweeted it out yesterday. It does, and I'm going to ask exactly you as a, true. Yeah, and as an offensive lineman, I'm going to ask you later on about the loss of Jason Peters and what that could mean, certainly for Carson Wentz and the Eagles. But World Series fever has swept out, kicked the coverage, and certainly Danny G. I'm not sure how good he's going to be at pressing the buttons and keeping the dial spinning radio style today because he's too excited about Clayton Kershaw and his 11 strikeouts. On the other side, we'll hear from Dave Roberts. We will hear from Justin Turner. All Dodgers all the time. Stick with us. It's Outkick the Coverage here on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back inside the Geico Outkick Studios where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance. Jason Martin, executive producer of this program, in with Jeff Schwartz today for Clay Travis. He'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully he did not. I don't know. I didn't see it. I didn't see him tweet out, so I assume he did not go to the game last night. I saw you tweet this out a little while ago, or retweet it, Jeff. Traffic last night after this game, no thank you. No thank you at all. <laughs> this There are people still trying to get home from this baseball game right now, and it was a two-hour and 28-minute fast fast game. Maybe that's the only reason people are not going to miss work in Los Angeles today. This traffic, though, looks bad, but this is typical. I mean, if the game is sold out and people stay till the end, this is this is what you get. So I mean, it looks terrifying, and this is funny when you know someone posts a photo of the 405 and look at this LA traffic. Well, that's what it is. And, and this photo was taken, by the way, an hour and a half after the game ended, and I just tweeted it out. Uh, it's bad. I mean, this is what you get. This is the trade-off. If you're going to go to a game that has 56,000 fans and you're going to stay till the end, then this is the traffic you're going to deal with. And this is why LA fans leave early from games. I get it. I grew up in Los Angeles. We left early mm-hmm. from games Quite often, um, especially UCLA football games, if it was out of hand, I mean, you have 90,000 fans at the Rose Bowl. There's two ways in and out, and you try, you leave early, so you beat the traffic home because it really is that bad. So a lot of people are probably rolling into work really tired today. On a scale of things I hate, traffic is way up there on the list. You add that plus 103-degree weather in October – I probably am never going to live in Los Angeles. Although Nashville, now that it's become the bachelorette capital of the world, every bachelorette party comes here or Austin, Texas. And the kind of the way things are set here, the traffic here has become pretty daggone bad too. Not certainly comparable to Los Angeles, but I just can't deal with my life surrounded by brake lights <laughs> at all times. And it seems like if I lived in Los Angeles, no matter when I tried to drive, it would be that way. When you guys are coming into work, Danny... Uh, Justin, you guys, how bad is it for you then? Is it kind of okay at any point, or is it bad even in the middle of the night? Oh no, there's there's no cars on the road when I come into work. It's, okay, it's easy. Although, okay, well that's good. But he is coming from Ventura County. Yeah, I'm I'm coming from a yeah. different direction than than the rest of the crew. But uh, on the way home, that like after the after this show, then I hit some traffic. Okay. Yeah. When, well, then you're you're one of the blessed ones as the actor that you are. When Dodger games let out, the flow on the uh, 405 and the 101 and the 134 by where I live, it just gets messed up. So you would think, ah, oh, you know, it's 10 p.m. There's not going to be a lot of cars on the road. No. Uh, the, it, the traffic's moving, 
but the volume of cars on the road is pretty insane for that time of the so, day. So you mentioned the, the way I go put ahead, Jeff. the way I put L.A. traffic is this. Like, Jason, you talk about Nashville traffic. So you can pretty much time up when Nashville traffic's going to be, right? Rush hour, maybe there's a ball game, and, you know, there's something Saturday night, a concert, there's going to be this or that. L.A. traffic is whenever, for no no reason whatsoever. You like know, Atlanta? Just leaving the show at 6 a.m., and there's traffic at 6 a.m. It, it just doesn't, there's, it does not matter. I've been in traffic at 10 p.m. through the 405 through Sepulveda Pass. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason for the traffic in Los Angeles. A lot of numbers you guys are mentioning right now. I, the 405 is the only one that I really recognize, except for the Californian skit on Saturday Night Live. You mentioned the words messed up, Danny. Well, Kershaw messed up the Astros last night. It was certainly a big night for him, and his manager, Dave Roberts, said as much about his hurler, who just pitched an absolute gem last night. Let's hear from Dave Roberts and what he had to say about Clayton Kershaw. Tonight was one of those nights, I think the first time in a while, that we've really seen all three of his pitches synced up. Um... He just was repeating the delivery, held the velocity, was throwing the baseball where he needed to, where he wanted to. Um, Very talented team over there. And for him to get ahead, uh, keep him off balance, work him front to back, up and down to all quadrants. uh, I mean, this was a special night for Clayton. Did he say all quadrants? That was like the most coach speak answer I've ever heard in my life. Like, I got no information from what he said about Kershaw except for the fact that Kershaw pitched well, which since I have two eyes and they're functioning, I was able to see that kind of on my own. He didn't just speak about Kershaw, though. Dave Roberts also talked about the workmanlike mentality of this Dodger club. Here's what he said about that. I believe we believe that it's uh, it's imperative to have um, that kind of grinder, blue-collar player. You need to have those guys that really live and die baseball. And when it gets hot in July uh, on the road and you're going 17 of 18, you need those guys that are just tough and the grinders and the blue-collar guys. Jeff, grinders and blue-collar guys, is that, a, is that something you can use to describe guys on a $240 million payroll? Yeah, I, I don't know if I like – I don't like the word grinder. It just, <laughs> it's, uh, um, no, I mean, I think you, you, the Dodgers are a collection of players who are very talented uh, but enjoy playing with each other and play the game. The, I hate the word the right way, but they do, right? They play it hard. Um, they yes. are, they're fundamentally sound. And, you know, they have a great bullpen, obviously, the great starting pitching. They can hit in clutch situations. So I think that's that's more what it is. I just don't like the term grinder because I – are you telling me that other Major League Baseball teams don't try as hard as the Dodgers? I mean, they do. They're just not as talented. So, obviously, talent plays a role a lot of times in the success of your team. And then team chemistry. To me, team chemistry, I'm not very high on it compared to other um, people because chemistry, to me, is built when you win. Uh, you build a, you know, you build your rapport with your teammates in the offseason and, and doing things together as the season goes on. But if you're a good team in any sport uh, – you typically have good chemistry because you're winning. You know, if you're a team that's that's in baseball, if you lose 98 games, I'll, I'll use the Giants as an example because I'm a Giants fan. They lost 98 games, and by the end of the season, there's rumblings about how that they weren't getting along, and, and Bruce Bochy was too mean to them this year. You didn't hear that when they were winning 100 games and winning World Series. It's the same, you know, same exact staff that they had. So, winning makes chemistry so much better. And so the grinder term, whatever, that how Roberts wants to say it, sure. But his guys enjoy playing with each other. They come to work every day expecting to win, and they go out and play well. And that's I guess if that's grinding, then that's what the Dodgers are doing. Danny, did that sound like sour grapes to you? <laughs> no. As a Dodger fan? No. And, and I like the fact that Jeff was tweeting, 
yesterday and last night because <laughs> a lot of no, I'm serious. A lot of the San Francisco Giants fans who you know throughout the years have talked smack on my social media timelines. They've disappeared this past season. Ghosts, gone. Crickets, tumbleweeds. So, you know, I, I respect the fact that Jeff is still active trying to troll. That's, that's you know, got to give him some credit for that, at least for trying. But as far as the payroll, you got to understand that a lot of that money is in the pitching staff. I mean, yeah. how, how, how much does Kershaw make per year? Um, and the other pitchers on the staff. They make a ton of dough as far as the pitchers, but you got reclamation projects like Chris Taylor, who was a nobody on the Mariners. The Dodgers gave nothing to get him. Justin Turner was a reject from the Orioles and the Mets. Uh, Kiki Hernandez. I mean, you got, Kike, you got guys who really are, were not star players, uh, so they were, they are blue-collar type guys as far as the hitters go on the Dodgers. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, and a lot of you know a lot of what the Dodgers have done in terms of their success hasn't come from the guys that they paid a ton of money to outside of that pitching staff. They, I think that the money they've spent has given them depth in certain respects and has enabled some of this stuff. But the reclamation project point is certainly one that's apt. Let's bring in our guy Eddie Garcia as he's going to be able to contextualize this a little bit better for us as well and find out what else is happening in the wild and woolly world of sports. What's the latest, Eddie? Well, guys, of course we have to start with the World Series. And uh, Game 1 in Los Angeles goes to the Dodgers 3-1. to Chris Taylor with a solo homer in the first inning. Justin Turner a two-run shot in the sixth. And Clayton Kershaw, seven innings, one run, three hits, 11 strikeouts, no walks. Kenley Jansen, the scoreless night for the save. Dodgers, again, 3-1 over the Astros. They've got the 1-0 series lead. Game 2 comes up again tonight in L.A., 8 o'clock Eastern, and you can see it on Fox. In NBA games of note, the Cavaliers beat the Bulls 119-112. LeBron James, 34 points and 13 assists. Trailblazers topped the Pelicans 103-93. New Orleans star Anthony Davis left with a knee injury, but an MRI was negative, and the Clippers are off to a 3-0 start thanks to a 102-84 win over the Jazz. And uh, guys, also from the NFL, Arizona Cardinals head coach Bruce Arians is denying a report from a local TV station that he's going to step down at the end of the year. Arians tweeted, quote, hearing reports I'm retiring. News to me. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm 100% focused on getting back on track at SF. Hashtag bird gang. The Cardinals are 3-4 this season, 44-26-1 in four-plus seasons with Arians as their head coach. Thank you, Eddie. Welcome back inside the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance. Seven-year NFL veteran on the offensive line, Jeff Schwartz, now retired, now a media type, if you can believe that, is with me. He's usually our Wednesday guest, so I guess he's technically still our Wednesday guest, but he's on for three hours today along with me. I'm Jason Martin, in for the big man. Clay Travis is back tomorrow. So let's talk about this Bruce Arians thing for a little bit, and then we'll get back to the World Series It has not been a good year for the Arizona Cardinals, Jeff. I think people expected so much more from them, especially from their defense. I know my fantasy team expected more from their defense than they've gotten this year. Now you take Carson Palmer out of the equation, who wasn't really playing all that well to begin with. Arians in his fifth season, and the Cardinals are not a franchise that in recent history have given a whole lot of time to their head coaches. What's your take on this Bruce Arians situation? Well, the Cardinals have been disappointing, and I think it starts with this idea that they're trying to a little bit rebuild, but then also gear up 
for a run to the playoffs. So you have a very old roster at certain positions, Carson Palmer, right, Fitzgerald. Now you bring in Adrian Peterson, which I think actually would have been a good signing in the spring to complement David Johnson. But David Johnson accounts for so much of that offense. Um, I think it was over 50% of, of the offense he accounted for last season. And when you rely so much on one player and that one player gets hurt, it's obviously going to to – make your offense less efficient. And their offensive lines had issues. They tried to revamp it in the middle of the year with bringing Alex Boone in. And defensively, they they ended up letting Calais Campbell go, who goes to Jacksonville, has 10 sacks now. And, and I don't think that anyone expected Calais Campbell to have 10 sacks in Jacksonville, uh, but he's played really well so far, and he played well in, in Arizona. Maybe the scheme in Arizona didn't allow him to get loose like it did in Jacksonville. You lost a couple guys in the back end of your secondary as well, and they just haven't played the same level they have in previous years. But look, you also have the Rams in the division playing a lot better. So that used to be a game where Arizona said, well, look, we can win that game in the division. Obviously, Seattle's still very good. The Niners aren't very good, so they, you know, beating them is not is not that big of a deal. But you have a team that's getting really old, and it doesn't surprise me that Bruce Arians is at least talking about retiring or he, someone's putting it out there that he might retire or or be or be done coaching he's had health issues in the past and i do worry about some of these coaches man they they spend so much time in that facility and i know even bruce arians talks about you know if you if you have and i do like this about him if you have a you know if your son or daughter has a recital or has a, a soccer game or something you know you leave the facility and go do it uh, which is great a lot of coaches aren't really that lenient when it comes to that but they work so hard and they they are so stressed out every single day um it's it's tough being a coach and then put on the fact that you're losing and you're getting up in age um i understand why there's rumors about him retiring and it makes a lot of sense uh they're gonna have to rebuild at some point and i feel like that rebuild is gonna happen after this season and i don't think bruce arians will be around to see that rebuild so you think he is gonna be done even if he doesn't retire that's the other thing is like let's say he isn't planning to retire and what he said in response to this abc 15 report where he had told people close to him according to the report that he did intend to retire after this season and arian said that's news to me but I think the other point that needs to be made is, are the Cardinals going to bring him back anyway? Because they might have an opportunity to get out from underneath this as well and begin the rebuild you just spoke of. Yeah, I, I don't see Bruce Arians wanting to be part of a rebuild. Um, he's played with, or he's coached, I should say, really excellent quarterbacks his entire career, right? He had Peyton Manning, he had Big Ben in in, in New England, excuse me, New England in Pittsburgh. Um, he's had Carson Palmer at the max of his, you know, of his potential. I, I don't know, did he do? Did he coach Kurt Warner in the Super Bowl? I don't think he did. Um, I don't think he was the coach for that. Um, no, but no, no. He's no. had. He, he didn't, right? He wasn't the coach for that team. No, that was he's had right? excellent. Yeah, what's it on? He's had he's had excellent quarterbacks throughout his career. And does he want to start over with a young quarterback? Or maybe, you know, the, the only really fragrant quarterback I think that's gonna be worth anything in this offseason will be Kirk Cousins if the if the Redskins decide to let him go. So does he wanna have a Kirk Cousins or does he wanna start over? I don't see him at his age with his competitiveness wanting to essentially rebuild uh from the quarterback position. And like you mentioned, you know, Arizona in the past has not been very patient with coaches and as much as Front offices say they're going to be patient with you and let you rebuild. They're they're not. Like Hugh Jackson might be fired after the season. As much as they say it's a might five be? year plan, you have to win. Yeah, probably <laughs> you have to win football games. And 
the Browns don't have a quarterback. They keep rotating through three quarterbacks. Um, and this whole Deshaun Kaiser thing being out on Friday night has nothing to do with his play whatsoever. So they're trying to make up excuses for, for his poor play. And you have to win at some point. Even John Lynch, after a winning was week two or three, in year one of a complete rebuild, said, we need to start winning football games. Even Knowing how bad they are as a roster, knowing that they it's year one of a complete roster overhaul, these guys live for winning football games that's what we that's the only thing that makes you truly happy in the entire facility is winning football games and they're not doing it in cleveland they're not doing san francisco and even though they're going through rebuilds the owners and the front office personnel get get antsy to win football games and so i don't think bruce arians wants to go through that i don't think they're all going to allow him three or four more years to rebuild an entire roster rebuild from the quarterback position so i think it's very very valid to see either him retire or them fire him at the end of the season L.A. crew, let's go out to somewhere closer to Chavez Ravine than both Jeff and I are here on the East Coast and ask them, what do you what do you guys think about Bruce Arians and the potential of him to actually be back next year? Yeah, it, it seems like he's going to be done when the season's over. And it's funny, Ben Maller uh, a little earlier was throwing out some teams where he could see Arians fitting in. The Colts? The, yeah, that was one. And, and the one that was interesting to me that he threw out there – he said if the Raiders go south and they don't bounce back, you know, starting with that Chiefs victory last Thursday, if Jack Del Rio does not make it in Oakland, could you maybe see Arians there? I think it's funny, Danny. It's amazing to me that you found a way to get to the Raiders that quickly. Well, I thought it was I thought it was funny that a host was talking about Jack Del Rio being fired because, you know, before the season started, there were some Super Bowl aspirations. Now you have some FSR hosts talking about Jack Del Rio maybe not making it till next season. So there were so many different angles coming from last night's World Series game. I think Jeff made a really interesting point in the last segment when he talked about chemistry maybe being overrated or overvalued. The idea that how many losing teams have you ever seen where they've said, well, they've got good chemistry, they're just not winning games. Like that generally doesn't happen. Chemistry seems to be a really easy adjective or a really easy descriptor to throw out when guys are winning games. And when you're winning games, obviously something is going right. If you're not, can you have good chemistry and be a losing team? We can ask that about the San Francisco Giants, right, Jeff? We can ask if whether or not they well, actually I, I've have been chemistry. On there, I've been on – like I've been on a two and fourteen Carolina Panthers team in twenty ten. We had great team chemistry. I mean, the offensive line was it was as close as Clearly. I've ever been a part of. Uh, we were, you know, we were fine. The team was was happy. We just didn't win football games, and so you didn't hear the the two and fourteen Carolina Panthers had great team chemistry. I mean, it ha- if we were ten and six, you'd hear about that. So I do think that's that's completely valid to say that chemistry is is tied to winning. Did you say you were happy with a two win season? That just no, come I said out we of your had mouth? good chemistry, and I said we had good chemistry in our offensive line room. We're honestly you also happy said to, you were to happy. go two and fourteen. You just said I you was were not happy. happy to go two and fourteen. This is why you're out of the league, Jeff. People, like I'm winning. not out of the league because I was happy. <laughs> I I still had a good. I here's the thing: when I came into work every day. I still had a good time, even though we were losing, because we were we had a good offensive line room. You have to find ways to enjoy yourself when you go two and fourteen. Otherwise, you drive yourself absolutely insane. And part of it was that we knew we were supposed to be bad, so it it was like that's how you tank. You just be you're really bad at quarterback. We had Jimmy Clausen. I mean, a poor guy had no chance to win. One guy that couldn't find a way to enjoy himself, I don't think, last night was Josh Reddick. 
We'll talk about him and his first game in the World Series last night against his former team, the Dodgers, and his bulletin board comments that he made before the series. And we'll ask our resident Dodgers experts out in L.A. just how much the fans dislike Josh Reddick at this point. 3-1 last night. The Dodgers win over the Astros. Kershaw with a gem. 11 strikeouts. We continue to break it down all morning. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Man, I feel like we're getting an edited version of this song. Welcome back inside the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Jason Martin, executive producer of this program regularly. You can hear my voice on this show as well, but Clay Travis is out today. He will be back tomorrow. You can follow me on Twitter in the interim at Jmart Outkick. Obviously, follow him at Clay Travis. I have unmuted him which has made my Twitter life much worse. And we bring in seven-year NFL veteran on the offensive line, Jeff Schwartz. He's with me all morning. You can follow him at G-E-O-F-F Schwartz on Twitter. Next hour, by the way, we'll bring in our MLB expert. We're going to bring him on back-to-back. He's on today and he's on tomorrow. John Paul Morosi will help us break down the World Series as we continue to talk about Game 1, a 3-1 victory for the Los Angeles Dodgers over the Houston Astros. Clayton Kershaw, 11 strikeouts, only gave up three hits in the entire game in seven innings, which... Apparently is a blemish on him, according to Jeff Schwartz, who found a way to still bring up Madison Bumgarner, even as Clayton Kershaw was absolutely dominant last night on the hill for the home Dodgers. Justin Turner hit a two-run homer in the bottom of the sixth, but if you ask him, it was Chris Taylor that was the real hero last night. I think CT's the hero. Uh, you know, he got us on the board early. He drew the two-out walk, uh, stayed in the zone, and, and gave me the opportunity. So uh, that's what he's been doing for us all year long. Uh, he's the spark plug at the top of our lineup, and when he goes, we go. Here's something for you, a real interesting stat. This is why you might never want to be a scout in any sport, but maybe especially in baseball. Chris Taylor this season has 22 home runs for the Los Angeles Dodgers. In over 1,900 at-bats in the minor leagues, Chris Taylor hit 22 home runs. That's insane. It's not just juice baseballs either. I was talking to Danny during the break, and he mentioned that Chris Taylor has said that the Dodgers kind of helped him rebuild his swing. Talk us a little bit more about that there, Danny. It's Chris Taylor, the fact that he was not a guy that could hit home runs at all, and now he's the guy that hits it right on the first pitch last night, but also already has just as many home runs as a pro as he did in years, many years in the minor leagues. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story. Do you know who Andrew Tolls is? He, he so uh, Let's pretend I don't. <laughs> so, Well, I think outside of Los Angeles, many people probably don't know who Andrew Tolls is, but he was doing a great job for the Dodgers as their leadoff hitter. Right at the start of the season, he's out. Breaks breaks a leg. I think he tore an ACL, actually. Gone for the year. And I remember a Dodger fan in the stands next to me, and he was shaking his head, and he's like, figures, uh, you know, we're going to have problems again, you know. And no, Chris Taylor inserted to the, in, in the lineup and turns into one of the brightest spots on the entire team. And one of the interviews he did during the season, they were asking him, you know, why is it so different for him with the Dodgers and why was he failing with the Mariners? And he said that when he got to Los Angeles, things were just better all the way around. He said that the coaching helped him uh, fix the hole that he thought he had in his swing. And suddenly he had a lot of pop uh, to his bat. And you've seen that every time uh, a pitch is in the strike zone, he, he hits that thing and he's not the biggest guy. So it's, it's, it's crazy to watch that power that he has in that swing. Jeff, 22 home runs 
this season with the Dodgers, 22 and over 1,900 bats in the minor leagues. That's a crazy stat. Yeah, it crazy. is. And look, the juice balls this year, obviously, have, I think I've played a big part in that. Um, but Dodger Stadium is not a place where the ball travels very well at, at times because it gets colder there and, and the air is heavy. So that's impressive to do at a ballpark right. that's not considered a hitter's ballpark as well. So, you know, the Dodgers have just had this season where everyone has chipped in and, and they're they, they're all grinders right everyone's everyone's done their job they've all chipped in um and so i mean i just i just i just i don't like cliches like that um they've all and the one thing i'll tell you this right now this is not on topic of baseball athletes i i know you're listening to this show right now especially you're 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 going to the facility this morning you got you got outkick on please never tweet rise and grind ever again don't ever tweet ever again it does not need to be tweeted it's not true what we're not rising and grinding when you're going to work out in the off season it's a two-hour workout at the most. The rest of the day is off. You're not, you know, we don't have to do that. We're, we don't have a regular job where you have a nine-to-five. Um, so let's not. I just don't like rise and grind. I don't like the term grinder. The Dodgers guys, I've played well this season. They've they've all stepped up in their different roles. Whether it's Taylor, whether it's Turner, whether even even Puig in the in most of the postseason has stepped up. You know, he's played better than he has in the regular season. And when you are playing well like you are now, this is how you win a World Series. Guys step up in times of importance, and the Dodgers are, have players who are doing that right now. Rise and Grind sounds like a movie you have to watch behind a curtain. So, yeah, I would probably avoid that on Twitter <laughs> as well. I think, you, I think you can find a better ways to describe what you do. It's, it's interesting. Yesterday I was complaining and lamenting about the fact that I had to get up uh, a little bit earlier than usual as I had some extra work to do before the show yesterday, and I was talking to this girl about that, and she was just like, oh, yeah, so sad for your three-hour workday before I go in and work 10. <laughs> so, yeah, athletes, I don't think anybody cares about your rise and grind feeling there. One more cut from Justin Turner here in this final minute talking about just how loud and crazy it was last night in Chavez. This place was the most electric I've ever seen it, um, which it should be. You know, the first World Series here in 29 years, our, our fans are fired up. They're pumped. Uh, the buzz around the city is, is crazy. And, uh, you know, obviously we're all excited to – to be able to let them enjoy this with us. Fans, and this is an interesting jump-off point as we're going to get to this here in hour two. Something Jeff had mentioned to me a couple of days ago he thought would be an interesting topic. We're going to talk about that in hour two. As a fan, do you like to see your team win or do you like to see your most hated rival lose? In the context of Giants and Dodgers, we'll get Jeff's thoughts. We'll take your thoughts as well at 877-996-6369. on Fox. We're with you all morning. This is Outkick the Coverage. Jason Martin, Jeff Schwartz, in for Clay Travis on FSR. Welcome back inside the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartoutkick, the executive producer of this fine radio program out in L.A., always handling business. Our guys Danny G. and Justin Cooper, the Coop, as he is affectionately referred to, and Jeff Schwartz, seven-year veteran of the NFL and on the offensive line, played for the likes of the Vikings, Chiefs, Panthers, Giants, and Lions, and he went to Oregon, so that's, you know, something, I suppose. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz, G-E-O-F-F. Jeff, uh, we're going to get into this fan discussion that you mentioned to me a minute ago, and, of course, the Dodgers, 3-1 victors. That's the main story across the sports landscape. But I need you to start spelling Taggart right. Like, it's driving me crazy seeing you tweet out Willie Taggart incorrectly. What, what, what am I spelling it wrong? What, it's supposed to be an A, not an E or something? Correct. What am I it's spelling T-A-G-G-A-R-T. 
And I spell it E-R-T, don't I? Yes, every single time. Yeah, well. That's a problem, Jeff. You do this for a living. That doesn't That's change. your school. <laughs> it doesn't change the way that I feel about him. I think he's going to be a good coach, or he is a good coach. We just have to get some talent in there. Oh, I agree. Fans, I mean, he's the first reason, coach I ever covered. Oregon fans, for some reason, expected this season to be really good, and I did not. I don't know. Like Oregon has gotten to a point where we expect too much of the program, and, and that was good for a while, right? Oregon went to four straight BCS games. We were, at, at one point, a top 10 program. I don't think we're a top 10 program anymore. Uh, we used to be happy with a 10-win season, and that used to be the standard in college football. You win 10 games, you go to a big bowl game, and win or lose that, but obviously 10 was the was the number. And now Oregon fans, it's national championship or bust every year. We start 4-1, and one, and everyone's like, well, Oregon's, they're going they're going to win nine. They're not winning nine games. They're winning six games this year. I said they'd be 6-6. Six and six. That's what's going to happen. And so I still, I think Taggart's going to do a fantastic job. We have a, supposedly we have a top five recruiting class. I don't follow recruiting like that. Um, but he's bringing in some talent, and and I and I was there for the Oregon spring game. I have obviously close connections to the program, and his energy and his his desire to to get the program back where it should be is exciting. He's a very energetic head coach. I just want you to spell his last name right. That's that's all. I guess just because he was here, he was at WKU where I did graduated he, did he, did from, he, did he, did he and I covered him the whole time. No, he, he did not send me a text. About it? I didn't need a text from him to see that it irritated me that you could not actually write his name correctly. Am I wrong in this, never, guys in I'm, L.A.? If you went to Oregon and you're Jeff Schwartz and you're doing media for a living, you can't continually misspell the last name of your current head football coach, right? I'm not wrong about this. It looks like last year I spelled it correctly, and then for whatever reason this season I have not spelled it correctly. Okay, so the we'll, we'll let it go. I'll let you slide. Just don't let it happen again. If I see an E, I'm going to be retweeting it, and I'm going to try and get everybody in the Outkick Army to come after you the way everyone does when they can't decide which your to use. And Clay absolutely or when goes you say nuclear. The Chick, or when you say Chick-fil-A, or when you degrade Chick-fil-A, like I did. The, the Outkick Army comes flying at you for that. Yeah, they're still coming at Coop, right? You're still getting some of that. Actually, why am I saying they as if I'm not the one who tweeted out that map last week and added you into the tweet? Oh, I, at least once a week I get somebody tweeting me about my Chick-fil-A opinion. I will say that map was garbage. The four square stuff and like the sample size and all. A lot of people saw that map. When you see maps of this is the most popular fast food or this is the most popular store in your state – Generally, that is based on bad information, and this was based on really, really bad information. <laughs> the the one I the, the same map I saw had a had a fast food restaurant in California I've never heard of before. Raising as a choice in California. It, yeah, it had, where is that at? Is there one in Southern California? Uh, yeah, I mean, Justin's talked about it on this show. I mean, it's it's good, but the, I I've only had it in Las Vegas. Actually, I do know I think there is one somewhere in California, Southern California, but. It's it doesn't touch in and out's status here in California. That's how much money did In and Out make last night after the Dodger game? Do you think? I've never been to an In and Out, so you think you think the traffic was bad leaving Dodger Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> Getting into In and Out probably was just as bad. Do they have some kind of promotion the with the team where if they score a certain amount of runs, you get a free sandwich or something like that? Have they ever done anything no, like that? No, they don't, they don't do cheesy stuff like that. They Tacos. Don't, but they are one of the sponsors for the, the pre- and post-game. So anytime I'm listening to the Dodgers 
on AM five seventy, they go into one of their in and out, you know, live commercial reads, and and I start tasting a a, a double double right then and there. <laughs> What's the deal with Laker games? If they get if they score hundred points, you get tacos, right? Yeah, there's one hundred and ten now. Holds the uh, the other team to under, yeah. Tacos yeah, so Jason, so Laker fans will out, start right? chanting. They'll start chanting for tacos at like about a minute left in the game if you hold someone under 100 points. It's pretty incredible. It's so embarrassing. Well, that's kind of like Nashville. Nashville, you get frosties. You get a frosty if the Preds score four goals. Yeah, but so does the whole crowd chant frosties? Really? Yes. They start. Yes. <laughs> God, that, why would I you not want a free frosty? No, Justin? I, I want you the free how frosty. Cheap everybody is in this I world. I want the free tacos, but the fact that there's a game going on, you've got thirteen thousand people chanting tacos. I don't know. It just kind of just kind of embarrasses me. I well, frosty just kind of becomes kind of a rallying cry. It's like, look, I know you're a child actor. At least you were in your like one movie that people actually saw before you started talking to horses that talked back to you that you didn't even know talked. <laughs> Until I told you about it when I went on IMDb and looked up the plot. So you haven't had any money trouble. But us regular folk out here, a one ninety nine chocolate frosty is worth screaming about when you're in the midst of Bridgestone Arena watching the Predators play hockey. Look, so tacos, tacos. I don't know how much tacos are in L.A., probably eight bucks. But Well, and speaking of which, we're, we're waiting for a player in the World Series to steal a base. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that's disgusting. That's yeah, disgusting. Be- don't go do that. Don't yeah. do that. What? Yeah, what? You have something I don't know what's Taco going Bell? on. Last year, Dur- Fran- Doritos Loco yeah. Taco. I've had, oh, those I have are, enough I have, bowel oh, I love issues. Those things. Do you know? I don't Fran- have enough. Uh, Francisco Lindor in last year's World Series got us free. He's a legend. Ta- yes, I went and I and I said, "Oh, I have two people at home." She put four tacos in the bag. It was amazing. <laughs> I haven't had tacos in six months. My weight update is a lot of people read my piece. I've now lost about 109 pounds. I'm under 260 at this stage since the end of February. So I don't even know what fast food looks like anymore, which is a positive. But, Jeff, you were wrong on Doritos Locos Tacos. Those things are the jam. And I'm never going to use that phrase again because it sounded awful coming out of my mouth. (laughs) And it's absolutely hideous. They're the bee's knees, I have enough bowel problems about needing a free taco. Well, you you had your NFL salary. You rich folks. You rich folks. There are a lot of folks out there. No, that I would, would take a free, a free taco, taco from from an, from another establishment, but I I can't. Do, my stomach can't do Taco Bell. It's not an iron clan as it used to be. Well, so you mentioned free tacos. Anytime the Lakers keep a team under 100 points, is that what it is? Yeah. So in other words, we'll never have any free tacos this season. Well, I was about to say <laughs> I don't think there's going to be many tacos being given out as John Wall <laughs> is being guarded by Lonzo Ball tonight. How do we feel like that's going to go? Look. <laughs> I love Lonzo. Side before you even get to your point. That's never good. <laughs> I love Lonzo. I am I am all about big baller brand, but it's it's probably not gonna it's not gonna go well. I, I mean I think Lonzo will have a, a good game uh, offensively. I think he'll bounce back because he had a horrible shooting night the last game. But I think John Wall's gonna have his way with him. He, John Wall's probably gonna come close to a triple double. That's what Marcin Gortat said via Twitter. He said forty eight minutes of torture coming the way. Of Lonzo Ball from John Wall, and then LeVar Ball has tweeted out, Lonzo's not going to lose twice in a week, so good luck, because oh, LeVar geez. still can't stop talking. I think Charles Barkley said one of the smartest things I've heard, which is no surprise, last week when he said, everybody in the league is gunning for this kid because of his dad, because of invoking guys like Steph Curry and Michael Jordan and all this. is like The way Patrick Beverly 
kind of treated Lonzo in his first game should come as no surprise to anyone based on the pride that NBA players generally play for, especially when they're called out. A lot of them are taking this personally. I feel kind of sorry for Lonzo as well because he seems to be a really good kid. And his dad's really just, you know, trying to build his name and trying to build a brand for his entire family. And a lot of it was in good fun, but it doesn't look like a lot of the NBA players see it that way. I expect John Wall to try and take his head off tonight. Of course they don't see it that way. They see his dad just out there proclaiming things like he's not going to lose twice in a week and making this big deal about a player who has not played or now he has obviously played in the NBA and so they're going to use that as motivation against him. I said this all along. I said that Lonzo Ball is going to have to be ready to get some blowback for what his dad says all the time and he's going to be, and until he proves that he can be a dynamic player in the NBA, it's going to happen every night to him and then of course you know if he becomes what, what his dad expects him to be or what Lakers fans hope he's, you know I'm a Lakers fan, I hope he is good enough to attract some of these uh, free agents to come to LA this year but until then it's going to be non stop it's going to be relentless because his dad is out here talking all the time he is definitely talking all the time because he doesn't really have anything else that he can do at this point but that'll be an interesting matchup tonight I'll be curious to see if there are ratings at all for that game maybe during commercial breaks and I'll be interested to see as the overnights start to come in for World Series game one and how it did I thought Fox's broadcast was pretty solid like I, I don't understand maybe I'm just in the minority here you tell me I've never understood the hatred for Joe Buck. Like, it's never really registered. Like, his show on HBO, yeah, that was that was a little bit of a problem. And sometimes he can get a little bit, you know, wink and noddish, wink and gunnish here and there. I don't think he's nearly as good in the NFL as he is in baseball. But in terms of baseball, his dad was one of the greats of all time. We were talking about Vin Scully, and last night Joe said, you know, the job he's trying to do, no one ever did it better than Vin Scully did it. But you look at Joe Buck and John Smoltz, just in the short time that they have worked together, the chemistry that they have built, there's that word again that we used in hour one, the chemistry that they've built. But I think Joe Buck does such a good job of just kind of setting the scene for a big baseball game. He has a voice that makes you feel like anything he's calling really has a lot of importance. And I've never understood the hatred for Joe Buck. I have never understood it either. I don't understand why people don't like uh, Chris Collinsworth as well. I don't oh, get why either. people don't like Chris Troy Aikman, who's who Joe, Troy Aikman's obviously Joe Buck's partner in, in the NFL. I just think people want to hate, and they just it's easy to hate Joe Buck. I, I agree with you, Buck and Smoltz. I mean, we talked about Smoltz earlier. Uh, Brigman's home run. He called it. He said he said he likes yeah. pitches inside. Next pitch inside home run. Um, so I like you know Tony Romo's calling out plays, which is so unique for a football analyst role, right? You're you basically, you're just quiet until the play happens and then you talk about the play and you let Jim Nance kind of set the scene for the play. And I agree with you, Joe Buck in baseball does a great job of setting the scene. Baseball is so unique in that you have it's more of scene setting and talking about history of players and history of situations uh, than it is in football where you're setting the scene for the exact play, right? And so I think Joe Buck, like like you said, does a good job of making the game feel very big in a World Series game, which is already big. Yeah, straight out of uh, Sherman Oaks, Danny G, Justin. Are you guys Joe Buck fans? Are you with us? Yeah, and I think Justin would agree with me as well. We, we both, we were talking about it during the break. We like the Fox team. I don't necessarily care for him calling football games, but when I see him in the booth for baseball, I'm like, okay, yeah, because I love watching him call the baseball games. The one thing I did want to ask you guys about, what was up with the YouTube Live? 
with the big oh, red play button in the middle of our screens. Did you notice that? Yeah, that was unnecessary. That was like, such I an eyesore. It was an eyesore. It was completely unnecessary. Did not need to be there whatsoever. It's like maybe they figured that out in one game and they're not going to do that again. Hopefully somebody was watching that and realized just how much of a distraction that really was. Like, why do we have a giant red button in the center of our screen, Jeff? Like, why is that happening during a baseball game? So, so when when they did the whole preview before the game with they did like a two or three minute commercial about youtube live um i actually thought my channel changed and i went to the remote i thought like something had happened because there wasn't the normal flow of commercials to game and it was yeah and then you in that little backdrop it was there the whole game so i do hope they change it because it was it was very distracting we are going to discuss this fan topic but we're going to wait until after we talk to our MLB expert, John Paul Morosi. He will join us on the other side. He will help us break down World Series Game 1, look ahead to Game 2. Verlander, is this a must-win tonight? Can you afford to go down 2-0 even if you've lost both games on the road? If your two aces both go down, we'll ask him about that. We'll ask him about the atmosphere out in Los Angeles. All of that is next. Stick with us. This is Outkick the Coverage with J. Martin Jeff in for Clay here on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back inside, live, the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance. 3-1 last night, the Dodgers get the job done. Clayton Kershaw with 11 strikeouts. This is the voice of Jason Martin, executive producer of this program on Twitter, at Outkick, joined by big-time NFL veteran on the offensive line, Jeff Schwartz, G-E-O-F-F Schwartz on Twitter. We bring in our MLB expert, John Paul Morosi. You can follow him on Twitter at John, no H, J-O-N Morosi. John could not have gone too much better if you're a fan of Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers from their first swing. They really did play nearly error-free baseball. Jason, Jeff, good morning. Yeah, it was an amazing performance last night by the Dodgers, and they have been really a dominant team overall for the last seven games. I look at both sides of it, uh, the pitching and, and the offense. Not not obviously a huge uh, night for hitting last night for L.A. with the three runs, but uh, the pitching dominance continues and Kershaw on the mound. Gentlemen, they have played seven consecutive games without allowing a hit with a man in scoring position. Think about that. Seven straight games without giving up, let's say, a a base hit that scores a run. That's just remarkable pitching. The bullpen has been on point. And now Clayton Kershaw, very interestingly, uh, one start that I think really has corrected what's become a false narrative about him in the playoffs because the Dodgers now have won eight of his last nine postseason starts. So Chris Taylor got it done right off the bat, I guess, literally and figuratively, on the first pitch of this game. I have a stat. This is just a crazy stat, and I think it goes to how difficult scouting is in baseball in particular. Chris Taylor, 22 home runs in 1,972 minor league plate appearances. 22 home runs this season in the Mm -hmm. big leagues. Just quantify that. Try to explain just what Chris Taylor has become for this team. Question, Jason, and I'd answer it this way: that, that Chris Taylor last October uh, he was sent to what, what the Dodgers called their Stay Ready Camp in Arizona during the playoffs. Basically, that's the second tier of players down uh, to keep them sharp, keep them ready uh, if there's an injury to the taxi squad or the the actual playing roster during the playoffs. Well, the Dodgers sent him home from that camp after the first round, so he was so far down the depth chart that they 
they send him home from the camp, not even from the traveling squad, but the, the camp that was staying ready to just say, you know what, we're not going to need you. And um, it was around that time that he started to reformulate his entire approach at the plate, his entire offensive strategy, his swing, his, his philosophy, everything. So it was an overhaul, and that's why after this overhaul, he has become a, a fundamentally different offensive player than he ever was before. Uh, and so I give him immense credit. The Dodgers certainly give him credit. This was a, a change that he initiated and, and took ownership of. Uh, and, and quite simply, the reason why those numbers don't really line up with each other is because he became a very different player last October on his own work uh, on ball fields in Arizona where there was really nobody watching uh, that now a year later has produced uh, the, the co-MVP of the NLCS. It seems to me, and it continued last night with Turner and with Taylor, the Dodgers all postseason have been great at hitting mistakes and making pitchers pay. Has that been the case? Yes, Jeff, and they've been, I think, very opportunistic offensively and also very prepared. I can tell you that the Dodgers have one of the more robust advanced scouting teams in baseball, and that may surprise some listeners because the Dodgers are known for their uh, avant-garde thinking and, and uh, the analytical movement. They've got so many uh, front office people that, that have either been GMs in the past or are highly regarded uh, people in that, in that capacity in the sport. But they also have a great amount of, of respect and admiration for scouting. And it's not really traditional scouting because many of their scouts are younger um, and, and they really have a good fa- uh, facility with the game's newest innovations from the standpoint of scouting. But they have advanced scouted uh, every team they've played in the playoffs with tremendous thoroughness. And actually their, their lead advanced scouts, uh, Dave Finley and Galen Carr, uh, had that same capacity for Theo, for Theo Epstein uh, back in 2007, a decade ago. So they are, uh, they are of, the, of the probably more forward-thinking front offices in the game, they have uh, a great reliance and respect for advanced scouting, and that really has produced, I believe, some of the great at-bats and the great pitching plans that we've seen in this playoffs. So with Verlander going tonight for the Astros, does this put more pressure on him to be perfect tonight? Uh, well, Jeff, I think perfect, uh, he, he's been in, involved in enough postseason starts to know he need not be perfect, but I think that he will be able to internalize this environment, and of course it's going to be his first World Series starts since Game 1 of 2012 when he gave up the, the two home runs, the first two homers of Sandoval, three-homer game there in San Francisco, uh, just up, up the coast there. So uh, I think he knows what's at stake. He probably was, was not sure when his next World Series opportunity was going to come uh, until, of course, the trade arrived on August the 31st in the, in the very final seconds before midnight, before that deadline. So I think Verlander's ready for this. I, I don't know that he's going to be desperate to, to pitch great or, or more nervous than usual. I think he knows what he has to do. The Dodgers are a team that he knows well. Of course, he, had in, he, he personally had interest in going there because he had a full no-trade clause and he owns a home there and would have had interest in, play, in playing there had that been the, the story in either July or August. But, uh, of course, the Dodgers, they traded for Hugh Darvish instead. didn't quite work out for them to get Verlander. And so now I think Verlander, with, with many motivations uh, in the back of his mind, can pitch against that team that, that did not really – pursue him all that aggressively in July. And I think for, for him, guys, the biggest thing is 
He wants the World Series ring. He has done everything else in his entire career that you could possibly do in baseball. He's thrown multiple no-hitters. He's won the MVP. He's won the Cy Young. He's started the All-Star game. He's done it all. He just has not won the World Series. And, and so he went to Houston for that reason. He's become very, uh, I think, very important in the community there with, with the way that uh, he has helped philanthropically, with the way he's helped the city uh, have a great positive rallying point now uh, with this baseball team in the midst of the Hurricane Harvey recovery. So just for so many reasons, it'll be an emotional start for Verlander, but I don't think he'll be in any way awed by the moment. John Morosi, our MLB expert, joins us. You can read his work at MLB.com. John, John Smoltz last night said something I thought was very interesting and seems to be very accurate, which is this series is is arguably going to be determined by whether or not the Astros can have the lead in the sixth inning because one of the biggest differences in this series comes down to the bullpen. And in the top of the sixth, obviously, Houston couldn't do anything against Kershaw, and then Turner made it even worse in the bottom of the sixth. Is that how you see it as well with these with the bullpen discrepancies in particular with a five-plus ERA on Houston's side and under one for the Dodgers, you talked about how nobody has, has really done anything against them in the last seven or eight ball games. The Astros have to find a way to get a lead in the middle to even have a chance, right? Totally agree. That's a great point by John last night, again, a great question by you, because that that is essential for the Astros. The, the Dodgers have not, in the bullpen, permitted a run since, again, game two of the National League Division Series, uh, which is just staggering. Seven straight games without either allowing a hit with a man in scoring position or a run by any relief pitcher, period. Uh, it was a great graphic that MLB Network had last night. So since the eighth inning of, of Game 2 of the Division Series, they have struck out the bullpen in 25 innings pitch combined, 30 strikeouts, one walk, zero runs. That is utter dominance. And, and that's, it's a, the key thing is it's a very different bullpen mix than they had last year. They now have Kenta Maeda in the bullpen. His stuff has played up in a big way. They add Brandon Morrow, who's become a revelation for them, pitching late in the game, uh, seventh or eighth inning. They've got very good lefties now with, with Watson and Singrani. So it's a, it's a fully new cast. And, and this is a team, uh, Jason, that, that I think because of that bullpen, as, as you point out, there is great urgency now for the Astros to get some points on the board early, so to speak, and, and at least uh, force them to maybe use – force the Dodgers to use maybe their group of B relievers. It's not uh, There's not a big chasm between their A relievers and B relievers, but at least to give them a bit of a chance if the Dodgers have to bring those relievers into the game when they're trailing. With that said, is this a must win? I hate that phrase, especially considering the Astros would then have just lost two on the road. Home field would still be home field. But you look at it, you can't really lose with both Keuchel and Verlander, and then expect to win four out of five, right? Very good point, Jeff. And that's where I don't think it's the series itself. Could the Astros come back from 2-0 down in um, in a series with the next three at home and still find a way to win? Yes, absolutely. But to your point, if you lose with both your best two pitchers, um, it becomes harder and harder to, to work the math, so to speak, and figure out where your wins are going to come and how you can win four out of five uh, to win the series. That, to me, is, is, is the tough part, because then you'd have to find a way to win, likely, uh, you know, game, game six and seven uh, at home. It's, just, it, the, it's, it's hard to imagine how they could do that. So I, I, I agree that they have been, though, a very different team, the Astros have been, home versus road. At home this year in the playoffs, 6-0 and on the road, 
one and five. So they have to find a way to maybe uh, grow that one win to two wins at some point in this series. They have to because if they don't, they'll lose. And I think tonight with Verlander on the mound is as good an opportunity as they're going to have to find a way to win a game at Dodger Stadium. How'd you feel about a two-hour and 28-minute World Series game? Remarkable. I, I kept looking down at the clock. As, as, is this right? Is this yeah. really what's happening here? Maybe the heat had something to do with 103 degrees last night. But uh, you're right. It was, it was one of the fastest World Series games we have seen in a very, very long time. I think he had great pitching on, on, on both sides. And Keiko really was very good outside of a couple pitches uh, on Houston's uh, side of the ledger. But just uh, it, was, it was remarkably fast the way the game was played, and, and uh, I, was, I was impressed that maybe, and Harold, Harold Reynolds made this point last night on MLB Network, that perhaps because you had so many, uh, so many quality pitchers out there, obviously on, on both sides, that hitters were urgent to swing early and not fall behind. Uh, it produced, I think, a very, a very tight game, a very uh, well-played game, a very efficiently played game, and uh, we'll see what Game 2 brings tonight. We'll have you on again tomorrow, and Clay, I'm sure we'll have to ask you about Michigan. I'm going to let you skate without asking you a question right. about the, yeah, uh, please, the uh, Michigan I, game. I appreciate you doing me that solid because uh, I, I hope to have an answer for Clay tomorrow, although I'm not sure it'll be, a, it'll be a very, very helpful to amazing move. They just have not looked good, and offensively, especially last weekend against Penn State, just a mystifying performance by Michigan. Enjoy the game tonight, John. We'll talk to you tomorrow. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. That is John Paul Morosi, MLB.com. Also writes about the NHL, does everything. As a matter of fact, you can follow him on Twitter at John without an H, J-O-N Morosi. All right, let's bring in Eddie Garcia. Let's talk a little World Series and find out what else is happening around the world of sports. What's the latest, Eddie? Well, obviously, you got to start with the World Series. Game one in Los Angeles and the Dodgers get the victory 3-1 to one over the Astros. Chris Taylor hit a home run in the bottom of the first inning for L.A., and then it was Justin Turner with the game tied at one, blasting a two-run shot in the sixth inning. That was a game-winning hit, all in support of Clayton Kershaw. He gets the win. Seven innings pitched, allowed one run on three hits, 11 strikeouts, no walks. Kenley Jansen tossed a scoreless ninth to get the save as the Dodgers grab the 1-0 World Series lead. Game two will be tonight in L.A., 8 o'clock Eastern, and you can see it on Fox. Some NBA games of note. Cavaliers beat the Bulls 119-112. LeBron James, 34 points and 13 assists in the win. Trailblazers top the Pelicans 103-93. New Orleans star Anthony Davis did leave the game with a knee injury, but MRI results were negative. Clippers are off to a 3-0 start with a 102-84 win over the Jazz. This report's brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And guys, uh, from the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks signed veteran defense in Dwight Freeney to a one-year deal after putting Cliff Averill on IR with a neck injury. Seattle obviously still fills it. Freeney, who's got 122.5 career sacks, can still get after the quarterback. Not sure if Jeff has ever had any dealings with Dwight Freeney, but he's 37 years old and will be participating in his 16th NFL season. Thank you, Eddie Garcia. Welcome back in Geico Outkick Studios. Dwight Freeney, 37 years old, goes to the Seahawks. Did play pretty well for the Falcons last year. Was a big part of that run towards the Super Bowl that ended, unfortunately, in not a Falcons Super Bowl. If you're a Falcons fan, certainly 122 and a half career sacks, as Eddie just said, third among active players behind Julius Peppers and Demarcus Ware. But Jeff Dwight Freeney, who you know and who you dealt with at times during your career, certainly one of the best all time at his position. And you add him to a still pretty fierce Seahawks defense. That's pretty nasty. 
Yeah, it's going to be tough for teams going into Seattle. And look, Dwight Freeney is not an every-down player, so he's not going to play uh, 40 snaps, 50 snaps. He's going to play 15 to 20 snaps. His only job is to disrupt the quarterback. And so you have a guy who has a spin move that's never been blocked. I don't think I've seen anyone block it before. Yeah. Maybe Jonathan Ogden's the only guy. And I talked to Jonathan Ogden, uh, future Hall of Famer. I'm not sure he's in the Hall of Fame yet. I think future Hall of Famer, left tackle for the Ravens. And he said that that was the move that got him, was the Freeney spin move. They played in, in often uh, in their careers. They crossed paths in the playoffs, and that was the toughest move for him to defend. And so he still has that spin move that hasn't gone away. So you have a guy who's playing in Seattle in that stadium, hard to play in that stadium. It's very loud against you know tackles. They're going to be a little bit late off the ball. He's going to get some guys with that spin move. And, and is he going to get 15 sacks? No. But if he gets three sacks and hits the quarterback twice a game, that's a good season for him. That's what the, that's all the Seahawks want from him. So I think this is a great move by them. I know Freeney now two years in a row has kind of held out for uh, three years in a row. He did it in Arizona, too, in Arizona to Atlanta. To, to Seattle where he's done this right, man. No training camp, come into a team that has a chance to win and then play well for them and, and help them get in the playoffs. In 2015, he averaged about 23 snaps a game in Arizona, 28 last year with the Falcons. You're saying between 15 and 20 now. Looks like he's going to slot behind Frank Clark and he who must not be named, a.k.a. Michael Bennett, who will start on the <laughs> other side. But this is a seven-time Pro Bowler. Bennett and Freeney play different positions, though, really. Yes. So that's not – it's whatever they want to put down there. Freeney's going to line up over the left tackle 15 to 20 times a game in third-down situations. That's his job. Um, He just – you know, it, you talk about camp and not dealing with that and holding out and all that, trying to get money and, and whatever. What's he going to learn at camp at this point, right? Like, at his age, oh, the only thing that could happen to him at camp is probably he could get injured or shorten his career a little bit. Am I wrong? I'm just. I mean, I'm you want to be in shape. Jealous. But he can get in I'm shape just jealous of him. That's it. You're I'm just jealous, jealous of him because he gets to miss training camp. That's it. No, he, no, there's nothing. Nothing that he's going to do in training camp would help him. I mean, that the spin move, his athleticism is probably best served to work out on his own. And now he's because he's able to do it the way that he wants to. He's able to pick and choose the teams that he feels most comfortable playing with and the teams that can win. Look, 2015, he goes to Arizona. They go to the NFC Championship game against the Panthers, right? Then last year, the Falcons end up going to the Super Bowl. Now he chooses the Seahawks, who I don't know who the I, – I think the Rams have a chance to win the division, but I still like Seattle until the Rams prove me otherwise. But Seattle's going to playoffs, whether they win the division or the wild card. So he's going to have another chance to add to win another Super Bowl. And – He's setting himself up right. This is the way that every this is the the way that every player dreams the end of their career goes, where they miss training camp and they get to go play for contender. So he's Leandro Barbosa, like wherever he goes, they end up near <laughs> yeah, an NBA championship. Yeah, yeah. sure. That except he's not won the championship, but he's that's. I mean, that's the dream is to is to do what what he's doing at the end of your career. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. Last year was going to probably be my last year, anyways. But um, I was hoping to go somewhere where I had a chance to win. Because as, as your career gets older, um, it gets to the end, you realize you haven't won a Super Bowl, and that's what you want to do. So He's won one, by the way. This. So this will be the second oh, one. Right. Thanks for clarifying. On the other side, we will mention the topic that, that we've kind of teased a few times and haven't gotten to yet, which is whether or not you would rather your favorite team win or if you get more joy or if you have more hatred for your enemy than you do love for your own team. That came from SEC fans and kind of a survey that came out where SEC fans seemingly hate their enemy more than they actually even like themselves. We'll talk about that, especially in the context of this ridiculous hatred that Jeff Schwartz holds 
for the Los Angeles Dodgers as a San Francisco Giants fan. And we'll let Danny G tee off on him yet again next. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on your car insurance. You could also call 800-947-AUTO, the only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Clay Travis is back tomorrow. He's in L.A. Yesterday, he taped with Adam Carolla for his podcast. The Adam Carolla podcast, I believe, comes out today. So you can certainly look forward to that, all Clay fans. Follow him on Twitter, at Clay Travis, certainly. He also taped with the Rabin Report, said he had a good time with both. Look forward to you guys hearing from them, and of course you'll hear from him tomorrow. So we teased this a couple of different times. Jeff Schwartz is in with me. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter, at jmartoutkick. He's at Jeff Schwartz, G-E-O-F-F. If you have spelling issues like he does when he's trying to spell Oregon's current football coach's last name, Taggart with an A, not an E, he'll get that right at some point. But, Jeff, you were talking to a friend of yours. I said it was a survey, not quite. You were talking to a friend of yours who played SEC football who said something really interesting about the fans in the SEC, but I think probably potentially across sports as a whole. Yeah, I think this this fits well for a lot of – fans and rivalries he said that they love to hate more than they love to love or love to win and so we talk about the dodgers who i hate so i hate is a very strong word i don't use it very often but i talk about it in with the dodgers and the washington huskies um and so to me the dodgers winning a world series the motions of that compared to the motions of the giants winning a world series it would feel I, I the emotion of the Dodgers lose uh, excuse me winning is is almost a worse feeling than the high of the Giants winning a World Series if that makes sense and so you have to like compartmentalize the the idea of the Dodgers winning the World Series but I, th- I think this this goes for a lot of sports a lot of fan bases if you have a you know if you're a favorite college team and their rival how do you feel if they win versus you guys win and I think that it's a it's a very fun topic that a lot of people will agree with. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. If you have thoughts on that, it's 877-996-6369, on Fox if you want to join the OutKick program here. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I reviewed Mindhunter, Netflix's new show about uh, John Douglas and his work on oh, serial killers and so things good. like that. Yeah, it's an excellent show. But it, one of the things that I mentioned in my review is that one of the reasons why we gravitate to things like this and why we're addicted to serial and making a murderer and things of that sort is because it makes us makes it easier for us to deal with our own transgressions because the things in the back of our heads that we we don't want to talk about at parties the things that we're afraid of those things in our lives that we're not particularly proud of either in our past or hopefully not anymore in our present those are things that become easier to take when you can look at somebody else and say well, you know, I I might have a gambling addiction, which is very apropos for this radio program. I may have a gambling addiction, but I didn't kill eight <laughs> nurses on an October morning. Like, all of a sudden, you're not as bad anymore. I think that the difference in this situation in terms of fandom is the quality and level of the game itself. Like, if Alabama is playing, for instance, and they're just playing a regular game against Kentucky and they win by 40, that's certainly not going to mean as much to me as an Alabama fan as Auburn you know, doing the favors for Vanderbilt or something to that expect. But if it's Alabama playing Clemson in the national championship and they come back and win that game, I think that's going to mean more to me than Auburn losing to Oregon, just to throw that out because Oregon's in my head because you're on the program, Jeff. I think that it, I think that on any there, given day, I do think on any given day, 
it would be just on a regular day, maybe you would get more enjoyment out of watching your rival lose. Because again, just like I didn't kill eight nurses, even though I have a gambling addiction, at least I'm not them. Look at them. Shame them. So I think that might be my take on it. Yeah, I understand that. I, I think it, for me, it is the big game situations. I would, I if the Dodgers won. I'll tell you this though: since the Giants have won three World Series in the last in the last seven years, it's it, my feelings for this have changed a little bit. Because if the Dodgers were to win, I would just say, "Well, you won one. Can, you know, finally, it's about time you have the highest payroll." I mean, I have many ways to, to justify in my head the Dodgers winning the World Series. But if the Giants had not won, I would be rooting so hard for the Dodgers not to win um, just so I didn't have to deal with their fans who are plenty are, are lots of my friends um, didn't have to deal with the idea of the Giants not being as good as the Dodgers and so for me it, it is the big game where it, it, I just root so hard against the Washington Huskies and the Los Angeles Dodgers um, that I love to see them lose Danny, Danny, uh, you've got Justin out there as a big Broncos fan. Me as a big Broncos fan. Do you get more yeah. joy out of a regular Raiders win or a Broncos loss, for example? No, I, I enjoy my team winning more than I enjoy the opposition losing. But I, I get it. I mean, I understand how you get a certain amount of you know joy from seeing the teams you hate lose. But at the same time, I think the bigger of a troll you are, the more enjoyment you probably get from, you know, your hated rivals losing. The, the question I would ask Jeff, because he has such great taste in basketball, how in the world <laughs> can you be a Lakers fan and a Giants fan in baseball? Because usually being a Lakers fan, it goes hand in hand with also being a Dodgers fan. So my dad grew up in the Bay Area, and when I was a kid, I was – forced rightfully so to root for the giants in baseball the niners in football and he was a he was a celtics fan because the warriors were not any good when, when he was growing they won one what 76 or 77 but yeah. the celtics were always on tv and he was a huge celtics fan so i just never became a celtics fan i went to a lot of lakers games as a kid the form and that's the team i started rooting for my dad never really pushed back at all so that's how i became a lakers fan man but as far as being a Giants fan, I mean, because the Giants didn't win squat between 1954 and 2010, right. like but nothing. They, had, they were they were good. They were good with Bonds. They didn't. They went to the World Series obviously in 2002, but they were always entertaining and and somewhat important and relevant. They didn't win a lot, but they made the playoffs and they went to the World Series in 2002. So I you know I enjoyed being a fan of the Giants. All right. It's not about the Giants right now. It's all about the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll reset the big plays from last night, let you hear from some of the victors next. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance. All you got to do, visit geico.com to get yourself a free rate quote. Clay Travis is in L.A. I don't think he went to the game last night where it was 103 degrees, but he did tape with the Adam Carolla podcast that'll be out later today. Also, the Ruben, not Rabin, which I heard him say numerous times and then got wrong, the Ruben Report, also another popular podcast out there. He's very excited for you to hear both of those. He was super thrilled with how both of those conversations went yesterday. Probably not as thrilled, however, as Dodgers fans. Because what a game last night for Clayton Kershaw. 11 strikeouts, only gave up three hits, really only made one mistake in the entire game to Alex Bregman. 
3-1 win for the Dodgers. They're up one to nothing. The crowd was absolutely on fire last night. Again, maybe the warmest World Series game on record. The temperature situations as you go back in time lose some of their validity and credibility, so it's unofficial if you want to get very technical about it. But 3-1, the Dodgers getting it done. If you went to bed, you know, this is funny because Clay always talks about, you know, we come in and we'll play highlights from stuff because... You went to sleep if you were on the East Coast and you didn't see it. This is Jason Martin, by the way, the executive producer of this program, along with seven-year NFL veteran Jeff Schwartz on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz, G-E-O-F-F. You can follow me at Jmart Outkick, and you can follow Clay, of course, at Clay Travis. But everybody was up to see this because it was just a two-hour and 28-minute game, the fastest since a game in 1992 between my Atlanta Braves and the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays won that series. We won't talk about it any further. But if you happen to miss or if you were watching TV and didn't hear some of the radio calls, let's give you a little bit of a timeline as to how this all went down as our West Coast audience is waking up and certainly the biggest story in the world of sports, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it didn't take very long. The first swing from Chris Taylor on the first pitch from Dallas Keuchel, and this is what happened. And on the first pitch, Chris Taylor hits it out. Keuchel gave up 15 home runs during the regular season in 146 innings. In one pitch, the Dodgers take a one to nothing lead. And I'm going to mention this stat again because it just is so crazy to see what this guy has done over the past year thanks to the Dodgers and thanks to working hard really before the season. Chris Taylor in 1,972 minor league plate appearances, had 22 home runs. Chris Taylor, in one season in the big leagues for the Los Angeles Dodgers, has 22 home runs. 22 in one year and 22 for his entire minor league career in over 1,970 at-bats. That is incredible in terms of what he's become for this Dodgers team. So it was one nothing there, and it stayed that way until the top of the fourth inning, and this is where Clayton Kershaw made his one mistake. This one's belted. Left field, sending Kike back. He'll look up. Gone! Ties it up. Alex Bregman with a line shot to left field. It's one-to-one. That quieted the crowd at least for a little while as Alex Bregman takes Clayton Kershaw deep, ties it at one And we hear John Smoltz mention, as the top of the sixth inning begins, and John Smoltz, we give a lot of credit to Tony Romo for how good he is as a broadcaster, and rightfully so. Absolutely fantastic. Makes these games so much more fun to watch. And he's been sort of Nostradamus-like. He has a crystal ball and is able to sort of call things out before they happen. And we saw that from Smoltz a couple of times last night. But what he said as the sixth inning began for the Astros was that because of the discrepancy in the bullpen – Between these two teams, this series would likely come down to whether or not the Houston Astros could get a lead in the sixth inning. Well, Kershaw did his job, and the Astros couldn't do it, and then Justin Turner in the bottom of the sixth made the job that much easier for the Dodgers' relief. Here's a 1-2. He stays put, and a fly ball to left field. It's deep, back at the wall, and it's gone! A two-run home run! Marwin Gonzalez runs out of room! Turner runs around the bases, and the Dodgers take a 3-1 to one lead. And 3-1 to one is how it would end. One other cut if you missed this. Clayton Kershaw with 11 strikeouts, just a gem of a performance. His breaking ball in particular was just absolutely filthy last night. 
Astros just swinging at absolutely nothing trying to get to this guy. Only gave up three hits on the game. But here's Kershaw's 11th strikeout. Kershaw deals. Full count. Springer. Swung on and missed. Strike three. Third time Springer's been struck out. That's the 11th strikeout for Kershaw. 11 strikeouts for Kershaw last night. Gets the win. Further tries to destroy this narrative about what he does on the biggest stage. I think John Morosi told us last hour he's won eight of his last nine postseason starts, so maybe it's time to back off this guy. Jeff, I know you're a Giants fan. I know this is painful for you, but the Dodgers looked <laughs> awfully good last night in their first World Series game in 29 years. Oh, yeah, they did. And Kershaw set a record last night. First time in Major League history in the postseason, a pitcher has 10-plus strikeouts, no walks, and three hits or less. So, I think that just cements his performance last night. He was on from the very beginning. You could tell uh, he had the Astros hitters off balance. He's throwing his little his little, um, his little cutter, his little slider, coming with a big curveball, his fastball. I mean, he was he was on. And look, the, the postseason narrative of Kershaw struggling is fun to talk about, especially as a Giants fan, and, and we talk about it often, but it really has only been the seven inning whenever he's pitched and now with this bullpen he doesn't have to put that stress on him of going through the third time of the order and even last night in the seventh inning the Astros had the best contact of any time throughout the game in that inning they they put the ball in play I believe for all three outs or end up four guys end up getting uh getting plate appearances in that inning and all four of those guys hit the ball hard just right to right to Dodgers the first guy actually had a leadoff single so that's the kind of the time where Kershaw starts to struggle a little bit in the postseason. And now, with the back end of the Dodgers' bullpen, Kershaw just has to get six or seven, and he's set. And yes, he's pitched great through most of his career. I think he has the most quality starts now in the postseason um, um, since uh, since John Lester, I think, has 13. He has 12. So he's really doing a good job. And I go back to this. The Dodgers hitters have impressed me all postseason of making mistakes count. Whenever a pitcher, look at Keiko last night, he made two mistakes, and both times the Dodgers hit out of the park. And those that's what teams that win the World Series do, and the Dodgers look really strong right now. We bring in the fellows from L.A., Danny G., who's cared about Dodgers baseball since opening day. The biggest Dodgers fan, certainly, that I know. And Justin Cooper out there as well, helping to spin the dials radio style for us today on Outkick the Coverage. Guys, Dallas Keuchel did not pitch badly either. He just made a couple of mistakes in the game, but he pitched pretty well. He pitched the Dodgers into multiple double play situations. But when Kershaw is pitching like that, you look at what Keuchel was able to do generally, that's a start where he wins a lot of the time. Couldn't do it last night. That has to feel really good for you guys. Yeah, it does. I mean, Keuchel made, what, three major errors and he only had room to maybe make one so the Dodgers take advantage of any error by any pitcher right now because they're just laser focused in at every at bat uh they make the pitchers work and even guys like Yasiel Puig I even remember how much of a wild swinger he was at the plate just two seasons ago and now this past season He's not swinging at all the first pitches the way he used to. He's not, you know, swinging at uh, crazy balls. He's he's only focused in on the strikes coming his way. So the Dodgers uh, at the plate are on fire, 
And then what's the one weakness of the Astros? We talked about this before the World Series started. Mm -hmm. Their weakness is the Dodgers' strength. The Dodgers have had the best bullpen in all of baseball. And so, uh, like Jeff was saying, Kershaw doesn't even need to go seven. I mean, they he could have gave – uh, you know, he could have gave the bullpen the ball in the sixth inning and been fine. You you see Morrow, and, and like uh, John Morosi was saying, we haven't even seen the depth of the Dodgers' bullpen in the postseason yet. We haven't seen their B relievers, their middle set, uh, their middle inning setup guys, their mid-relief guys, because we haven't needed that. So the Dodgers' bullpen is just sick, and – the fact that the Astros, that's their one weakness, I think that's, like I said, before the World Series started, that's what's going to give the Dodgers this World Series win. And not just a weakness, as Danny said, Jeff. Well, we're talking about a 5-plus ERA in the postseason for the relievers for the Houston Astros and a minus 1, underneath 1, for the Dodgers. That's not a weakness. That is a gigantic X factor, and it makes it so that what John Smoltz said about the Astros somehow having leads in the sixth inning so that they can maybe overcome their bullpen woes and coast or try to hang on to victories, that is a tough recipe to try and win against. Right, because it puts pressure on the entire team to to have to score runs early. So Verlander's going tonight. He's got to think, look, I have to be close to being perfect. The Astros hitters have to think, look, we need to have a lead after six innings. If not, we're done. And, and I, I, I know I, re- I referenced the Giants a lot, but in 2014 when they played the Royals, the Royals had the best bullpen almost to where the Dodgers have right now. And as a Giants fan, I thought to myself, look, if we don't have a lead in the sixth inning, we're done. I mean, the Royals, if, when, if they got to that sixth inning and, 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 and could bring in, what was it, Wade Davis and uh, I forget who the guys were. It was seven, the seventh, eighth, ninth. It was was done all season long for the Royals, and that's where the Dodgers are now. So, if you're an Astros fan or you're an Astros player, you have to think. Look, we need to have this lead by the sixth inning, and that adds a lot of pressure to your team early in games to try to be perfect, or if you're at the plate, try to manufacture runs as soon as possible to not put yourself in a situation and have to face Jensen. Because, dude, I remember watching him, and Danny can probably talk about this as well. I remember watching him when he was a young pitcher, seeing him throw this cutter, and thinking to myself, this is the same pitch that Mario Rivera threw for how many years? 15 years, one pitch, and Jensen just slowly started building up to where now that's his that's his game and you could see it that you you can see this progression happening slowly over time and I actually always thought he'd get to this point right now where he's almost unhittable and he's actually fun to watch as much as it's it's hard for me to admit um he's a big guy coming there throwing hard throwing that cutter he's going to be hard to hit this entire series Danny go ahead and wax poetic about your boy yeah. Jansen well I mean you've you've heard a lot a lot of bragging about him over the past couple of seasons he he is the best closer in baseball right now and it's pretty amazing that he was a catcher and uh, you know they turned him into a, a pitcher and that cutter Jeff is talking about in the beginning he didn't have control of his placement of it so he would throw right. it yeah but you know you would see the other team make a lot of contact with it he, he couldn't put it exactly where he wanted to once he started to get control of that cutter and and could start putting it exactly where he wanted over the plate he's he's been lights out ever since i mean california love comes on in the stadium and he runs out of that bullpen and dodger fans know it's a wrap basically put it in the <laughs> column as a w dude is just dominant and last night it was impossible to be bored by baseball which can happen sometimes during the regular season 
just in this postseason, games have averaged around three and a half hours, three hours, 32 minutes, which is actually up about 18 minutes from the World Series two years ago. Last night, two hours and 28 minutes. Uh, you know, Morosi said in the last hour, and I was doing the same thing. I kept looking down the clock saying, man, this game seems to be moving awfully fast. And you look at the clock, and like an hour and 15 minutes is gone, and we're near the seventh inning. Like this thing was on high speed rail, is how I mentioned it in the first hour. And it was kind of awesome, quite frankly. It was very, very easy to consume this baseball game last night because of the pitcher's duel and just how quickly it continued to move. It was fun to watch because it was. Good baseball, right? There weren't a lot True. of mistakes, which is which is which ends up being why games go so long, right? So you either have a ton of pitching changes, so you have to the managers walking out there making the changes. You have errors. You just have uncrisp games, and this was crisp. Look, you got home runs, which people love. You had three home runs. You had good quality pitching, which people should enjoy. It's baseball pitching, still a big part of that. So you had you know the the star for the Dodgers pitching tonight. You have the star for for the uh, the Astros pitching tonight as well. So you're going to get good quality games, and this is what baseball needs. I think the, the ratings are going to be whatever because it wasn't as long as, as Fox wanted it to be, but the quality of the game will draw more fans in. I mean, I assume tonight we'll get a lot of fans watching. Fans might tune in because they think the game might be 2 hours and 30 minutes again tonight, which I'd love if it was 2 hours and 30 minutes again. All right, so I got it wrong. Clay was at the game last night. I missed one tweet that he had sent out that said, awesome night at Dodger well, Stadium, had you, a photo. That's what you get for muting him. That was a long time ago. That's old stuff. There's no reason to bring it up again. I just missed that Missed that tweet. I didn't go to his timeline this morning. So he was at the game. 103 degrees in October is ridiculous and explains why I'm always yes. going to live on the East Coast. Like, this does not need to happen, right? Like, 103 degrees well, never that, needs look, to happen, but it definitely that, doesn't need to happen in the end of October. But that has nothing to do with East or West Coast. That's that's very rare for Los Angeles, no matter what time of year it is. I mean, it rarely gets above a hundred, especially in the West Side. So that's not that's not an East or West Coast thing. It gets hotter. It's hotter in Nashville all summer than it is in Los Angeles all summer. We'll continue to break down this game. We'll let you hear from Dave Roberts <laughs> and Justin Turner on the other side. I'm just going to let that one just go nothing. by the wayside. I have a, I have a terrible story about my facial hair as. I used one of the Dollar Shave Club razors and did not think ahead of time about my situation. I ended up taking a strip off of my beard, which meant I just had to completely get rid of the entire thing this past week because Dollar Shave Club does such a good job of taking it off in in one fail swoop. So now I'm having to have it build back right now, and then I'm going to use DSC to manicure everything. You know how much we love Dollar Shave Club's razors. But I'm not sure you knew they offered as much as they do. They make their own high-quality personal and grooming products for your hair, face, skin, shower, everything. They have all of your bathroom needs delivered. When you're at the store and you're shopping for your personal and grooming needs, you got so many options, and they all seem to look the same. I can't tell the difference between them. And if you've got any questions, it's not like the clerks are going to be able to help you when you start looking at these products. But you don't need to worry about that anymore. There's no need for the hassle of, of stepping in the store. I use Dollar Shave Club, as does Clay, as do all of us here at Outkick, for almost everything. Razors, body cleanser, hair gel, and, of course, the world-famous butt wipes. When you can look at your posterior and the descriptor can be it's peppermint fresh, you're doing things right. DSC has you covered head to toe. Everything's super high quality, leaves me looking and feeling amazing. The premium ingredients, the sophisticated scents, Dollar Shave Club changing the game. And right now you can try it all. You can get their first month starter set, just five bucks. It includes a travel size shave butter, body cleanser, butt wipes, and a month of their best razor. After that, all your replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. So you don't want to miss out. 
Get your starter set for just $5 today exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. More on the Dodgers game one win next. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Outkick the Coverage radio program. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance. All you got to do, head to geico.com on the web or you can do it via phone, 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part figuring out which way is easier. So, Clayton Kershaw, 11 strikeouts last night, just gives up three hits, the one run, the one mistake to Alex Bregman. We played some of those highlights for you in the first segment. If you missed any part of this show, go ahead and download the podcast and go to iTunes, wherever it is that you like to do your podcasting from. Search out, kick the coverage. Go ahead and subscribe. Enjoy all of the shenanigans every day. You can also subscribe to Outkick the Show, which is Clay's Periscope and Facebook show which, of course, explodes for you every afternoon where he's able to go completely unfiltered on the biggest topics of the day in sports, pop culture, politics, wherever. And on Fridays, my Outkick the Culture pop culture show drops as well. So there's a lot that you can do to continue to follow this show. Follow Clay on Twitter. By the way, at Clay Travis, I'm Jason Martin, executive producer of this fine program. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartoutkick. Jeff Schwartz, NFL veteran on the offensive line, now retired, now in the media. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Schwartz, G-E-O-F-F. Short. So Kershaw got it done last night. Nobody prouder of him. Nobody understood this moment bigger than his manager, Dave Roberts. Here's what Dave Roberts had to say about his hurler last night. Tonight was one of those nights, I think the first time in a while, that we've really seen all three of his pitches synced up. Um, he just was repeating the delivery, held the velocity, was throwing the baseball where he needed to, where he wanted to. Um, very talented team over there, and for him to get ahead – Uh, keep him off balance, work him front to back, up and down to all quadrants. Uh, I mean, this was a special night for Clayton. All quadrants, Jeff. All quadrants. Very, very, as John Rose said, very analytical team. That's how it explains throwing the ball well to all quadrants. But, I mean, that's, look, his fastball was on from – the thing that, that you noticed right away was Kershaw was on. His, he's throwing his fastball slider down into right. He's throwing that big curveball. doesn't throw it very often, but when he does, it's very effective. And you could tell early on that the situation and, and the scene was not too big for him. And now, tonight, the Astros need the same performance that the Dodgers got from Kershaw from Verlander. This is why they traded for him, was to put him in a situation to win a game like this. It's not a must-win, but I, I think it's pretty close to one because if the Astros can get out of here with a split, losing to Kershaw, which I think was expected. Of course, they're not going to say that, but losing to Kershaw and then winning the game with your ace on the hill, you have to feel good going back to Houston where they they score three more runs this postseason in Houston than they do on the road. So they have to feel really good going back home. You know, winning two or th- two two of those would be ideal. Winning three obviously would would win in the World Series, but Tonight, it's all on Verlander. He's got to carry this team, and the Astros have to find a way to get to Rich Hill. And like you said all along, this entire show, you and Danny G, is they have to be up after six innings. Otherwise, the Dodgers' bullpen is going to go to work. I don't think the Astros will be able to get any hits off them. Also, if you're the Astros, even though you're playing on the road, you just can't afford, with the way the Dodgers hit the ball and the way that they pitch, as you just mentioned, Jeff, in the bullpen, you can't lose with Verlander and Keiko and then expect to win four of five. I don't care how many you're playing at home after this. You cannot go down 0-2 in this situation. This is one of those where you almost have to leave with a split or the series is over in six at max. Oh, I agree with that because you know Kershaw is lining up now to probably pitch game four or five depending on, on the amount of off days and then 
probably pitch game seven. So you're going to get Kershaw another two times. So winning today is vital. Do you expect to beat Kershaw two times if you don't if you don't win tonight? Probably not. So this is as, mu- as big of a must win as you can have in a game two. It's hard to say that because there's so much baseball left in this series. But the way the Dodgers are playing, they make you pay for mistakes. And, and if you're not on, the Dodgers will, will, will win this game. And so I'm looking forward to watching Verlander pitch. We've talked about it in, in 2012 when he, he threw against the Giants in the World Series. He got lit up by really generally Pablo Sandoval. I think he hit three home runs off him, or three, he hit three home runs that game. I don't know if all three were, were off Verlander. I don't recall, but um, you know he's going to have to pitch better than that tonight if he wants to win. Much of the $240 million payroll of the Dodgers is on that pitching staff, but if you talk to Dave Roberts, one of the reasons for their success, and certainly the reasons for their success last night, has to do with the harder workers, the blue-collar guys. Here's what he had to say about them. I believe, we believe that it's uh, it's imperative to have um, that kind of grinder, blue-collar player. You need to have those guys that really live and die baseball. And when it gets hot in July on the road and you're going 17 of 18, you need those guys that are just tough and the grinders and the blue-collar guys. Jeff, the word grinder was used. <laughs> That's your favorite. Uh, look, I, I, I don't terribly like this idea of rise and grind and grinders. I mean, I think guys generally want to play hard, and, and the reason why the Dodgers are where they are is because of the, the effort of all their players. And I think what he's talking about is the guys that aren't getting paid as much, like the younger players, like a Taylor, like even a Turner, who's been kind of a cast-off from the Mets and the Orioles, are playing at such a high level. And then, But then you also have Kershaw. You know, just because Kershaw is getting paid a lot of money does not mean that he doesn't try or or work as hard as guys who are not getting paid the same amount of money. I mean, that's why I think I take a little bit of offense to this term of a grinder, because they work just as hard. I found actually when I got paid by the Giants, I almost wanted to work harder to justify that contract that I got from the Giants rather than basically shut it down, which very few guys end up doing. I find that more guys, when they get paid, want to do even more because they expect more of themselves because they got all that money. So that's why I don't like the term grinder because I feel like all the guys, or at least most of them, especially if your team's in the World Series, you are working hard, you are grinding, you are doing everything you have to do, whether you're getting paid the minimum or whether you're getting paid $30 million a year. So we'll stay in L.A. and we'll talk to the guys out in L.A. about what Jeff just said. Just think about the Lakers, for example. Nobody was working harder than Kobe throughout a lot of his career, despite the money that he was making, despite being kind of the A-list, the white-collar star, if you will, on that team. I think Jeff does make a good point that the word grinder should apply to everybody, not necessarily just the guys that are a little bit off the radar. It's kind of like calling somebody an X-Factor. It's like anybody can be an X-Factor. LeBron James is the X-Factor in almost every Cleveland game, for example. Yeah, No, I mean, that's that's what it is. I, I think X-Factor, though, it, it, you can... You can point to certain guys that if they play well, then that that will boost your team. So I think an X factor makes a little bit of sense. And and of course, look, LeBron and Kobe, those are X factors. But you you know you can say J.R. Smith if he plays this certain way in this in this finals game, they have a chance of winning. That's I think that's fair to say. An X factor per se is a guy that needs to play maybe above and beyond his talent in a certain game to get your team to win. But that makes more sense to me than a grinder. Because like you said, Kobe's working just as hard. LeBron's working just as hard. Dwayne Wade. I mean, all these guys that that, have, that are excellent and, and excel above and beyond everyone else, 
are working just as hard as guys that aren't making as much. The, the difference, really, at times, is talent. Kobe's more talented than other players that make the minimum salary, and that's the difference between uh, a lot of times in, in the pay is a guy's more talented. The work ethic can be just the same. But, Danny, I do think, as a, as a Dodger fan that you are, you can speak to the idea of blue-collar guys in the, in the way of a Chris Taylor or a Justin Turner and just what they've been able to do in L.A., after you know, not necessarily standing out elsewhere, and certainly having to quote grind unquote to get where they are. Yeah, and I think you owe a lot to the coaching staff of the Dodgers, both up you know with the big club and in the minor leagues. And something about the Dodgers farm system that not a lot of folks are talking about. How many rookies of the year have the Dodgers produced? It is a long list, and most recently. Corey Seager, who's a huge part of the team, and now Cody Bellinger. So the Dodgers coaching staff from bottom to top, uh, from the minors to the big club, just an amazing staff of coaches. They have been absolutely fantastic. Had had those even back, I mean, different, obviously different staff, but they had they had the rookie of the year four years in a row in the in the 90s, which is pretty remarkable to think about. Um, You know, having having those guys back to back to back win rookie of the year. Also remarkable to think about our guy, Eddie Garcia, that does a fantastic job bringing us what's happening in the world of sports. Let's go to EG and find out the latest. Oh, thank you very much. Let's start with the World Series. Game one in Los Angeles. Dodgers beat the Astros 3-1. Chris Taylor hit a home run in the bottom of the first to give the Dodgers a 1-0 lead. Then with the game tied in the sixth inning, Justin Turner blasted a two-run shot. That would be the game-winning hit. All in support of Clayton Kershaw, who pitched great. Seven innings, one run, three hits, 11 strikeouts, no walks. Kenley Jansen tossed a scoreless ninth to get the save. Dodgers have the 1-0 series lead in the Fall Classic. Game 2 comes up tonight in L.A., 8 Eastern, and once again, it is on Fox. In NBA games of note, Cavaliers beat the Bulls 119-112. LeBron James had 34 points and 13 assists in the win. Trailblazers down the Pelicans 103-93. New Orleans star Anthony Davis left this game with a knee injury. An MRI, though, was negative, and the Clippers are off to a 3-0 start after beating the Jazz 102-84. This report's brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you to find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for new or used visit true car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience and guys a couple of quick notes from the nfl things have been going great for the philadelphia eagles six and one best record in the league but they have lost tackle jason peters for the season after an mri revealed that he tore both the acl and mcl in his knee on monday night and the nfl upheld the one game suspension for oakland raiders running back marshawn lynch who had appealed that suspension. Remember, he came off the bench on that Thursday night game, made contact with an official. One kind of interesting note in this one is during the appeal, Marcus Peters of the Chiefs actually spoke in favor of Marshawn Lynch. Uh, apparently they have a, uh, a relationship, but uh, Peters was the guy who kind of started the brawl or the scrum on the field after he hit quarterback Derek Carr. Thank you, Eddie. Welcome back inside the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Clay Travis is back tomorrow. He had quite a day in L.A. as he taped with Adam Carolla, as well as with the Rubin Report before heading to Game 1 last night and braving the 103 degrees to see Clayton Kershaw strike out 11 in a 3-1 victory for the Dodgers. And uh, Jeff Schwartz, Jason Martin in with you today. Danny G and Justin Cooper out in L.A. spinning the Dodgers radio style for us. And let's stay with the NFL just for a little while, Jeff. As an offensive lineman, I wanted to get your take on this. One thing that happened to the Eagles last year, let's talk about Peters. At one point yesterday, they hoped it was just going to be an MCL. Now an MCL, an ACL, and out for the year. And that's a gigantic loss. And the reason the reason I mentioned last year is because last year the Eagles started 5-1. and one. 
And then they lost Lane Johnson, who was suspended. He was arguably the best right tackle in football, or certainly one of the best right tackles in football. And down the stretch, the Eagles then finished 2-8. and eight. So losing that enabled a lot of problems to well up for Carson Wentz. Now, we saw him succeed and get away from the Redskins on Monday night after Peter's injury. But losing someone the likes of Jason Peters, that really hurts because this is a solid offensive line, but this is a major, major contributor and a multi-time pro bowler and one of the best at his position in the league. Yeah, Peters is, is probably going to be a Hall of Famer one day. And in one weekend, we lost Joe Thomas with a, with a torn yeah. tricep and Jason Peters. And both guys, I would think would be leaning towards retirement at this point in their career. You know, Joe, Joe, this is his 11th season in the NFL. He played 10,000, over 10,000 snaps in a row. He's won 48 games in in 10-plus years in Cleveland. I don't know how he's not demanded a trade, but I kind of expect him to maybe pack it up. This is a tough injury. And Peters, you know, Peters is a bigger offensive lineman. He's really been undervalued, which is shocking considering how many Pro Bowls he's made. He is truly a remarkable left tackle and, and the Eagles are going to have some decisions to make and like you mentioned about Lane Johnson last year um, you know the decision really is to move Lane Johnson from right tackle to left tackle which he's played a little bit in his career when Peters has been hurt before and actually pay Lane Johnson like a left tackle I think he gets 11 or something million dollars a year but Doug Peterson's talking about leaving Lane at right tackle and putting Vitae their backup um, their backup swing tackle at left and I kind of like this and, and I'll tell you the reason why when you have offensive line injuries and you end up shuffling linemen all over the place, you end up weakening a bunch of positions. So you have Lane Johnson, who's really an exceptional right tackle. You put him at left tackle, and yeah, he can do okay at left tackle, probably maybe a little bit above average, but now left tackle's a little bit worse because Peters got hurt, and now right tackle's a little bit worse because you have a backup. Instead of just putting Vitae in, in at left tackle and then scheming up ways to get him... Uh, productive reps, whether it's putting a tight end there, whether it's sliding left, which they do a lot in the West Coast offense, a lot of two-jet, it's called. They slide to the left a lot. And finding ways to scheme up uh, things to, to make him successful. Also, this is something that I'm not sure that they look at very well, but the NFC East has to play the AFC West and the NFC West this year. So you have a lot of pass rushers over the right tackle. They already played the Chiefs, but they still have the Raiders to play. So they have Khalil Mack. You still have to play the Broncos and Von Miller. You still have to play the Chargers. Oh, they already they beat the Chargers already. Um, so they're done with that game. They have, I think they still have to play the Seahawks. I think it's actually in Seattle as well. So they have to p- face a lot of these pass rushers. And it might make more sense to leave Lane Johnson at right tackle. But make no mistake about it, whether you move Lane Johnson or not, this is a huge loss for the Eagles offense, which has really been rolling. Carson Wentz has improved every single week. The run game has been very underrated. I think the Eagles offensive line have been playing at, at maybe the highest level in the NFL. The Raiders had dropped off a little bit. The Cowboys dropped off a little bit. The Titans have dropped off just a little bit. And really, the Eagles and even the Redskins have really elevated their offensive line play this year. So this is a big loss for the Eagles, and I hope they find a way because they're fun to watch, man. They run the football. They're really physical on defense. They're fast on defense. They lost Jordan Hicks their middle linebacker too so they have a really a lot of issues with injuries and a lot of teams do a lot of teams don't have depth so injuries is what derails a lot of seasons and I hope the Eagles season is not derailed with these two injuries Eagles are definitely fun to watch also fun to watch the Dodgers we've been talking about the World Series all day long 3-1 victory in game one Kershaw with 11 strikeouts our telephone number is 877-996-6369 that's 877-99 on Fox let's go to the Bay Area and talk to Mike Mike how are you I'm good, guys. How you guys doing? Great, buddy. 
Uh, so I have a bone to pick with Jeff. Um, first of all, it was five rookies of the year in the row. Carroll, Piazza, Correct. Mondesi, Nomo, and Hollinsworth. Uh, and second, you sound like every typical Giants fan I know. I was born and raised in L.A. I moved here when I was 12. And all my life I grew up around hating Giants fans. Like All I ever heard was, like, oh, we got Bonds, Dodgers suck. And I kept reminding them, we had five championships and they had zero. And they were like, no, well, we got all these championships in New York. And I'm like, look, if neither team had ever moved west, I wouldn't care and you wouldn't care, so don't give me that. And then all of a sudden, 60 years later or whatever it was, 55 years later, they win three out of five, and I shut my mouth. I never said one thing. You know, I bowed down because I, I didn't have any room to talk. The Dodgers were always choking, but this is our time. And the Giants fans just got to try to keep reminding everybody, look what we did five, six years ago. I don't care what you guys did five, six years ago. It's now. Get over it. And as far as you being a Laker fan, man, I, I don't get it. I Just like everybody else said earlier, it, it kind of goes hand in hand if you're a Dodgers fan you're a lakers fan but the bay area fans are the biggest bandwagon fans i know i've seen it every day of my life <laughs> that's a uh, great call sure. mike yeah. Yeah. defender defender fans show, fandom dodgers fans show up in the third inning and leave in the seventh and that's not debatable so they show up for big games like they did last night and they show up for lakers playoff games wait, wait um, you said look, you would I, do that too for traffic reasons i, I <laughs> I said I would leave. I get there. I get there on time all the time. I might leave in the seventh inning for traffic reasons. I don't show up in the third. I've been to Dodger games where I've seen fans show up in the fourth inning and leave before the seventh inning stretch. All right, and that's not debatable. Let's not talk about LA fans being the best. When when teams are winning, they're they're they are they show out. It's actually going to be really interesting because the Rams are good. They're five and two. The Coliseum is a dump, and and they that probably won't draw because of that reason. But look, LA fans, here's your chance to 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 show up for for some for some pro football. But for the Dodgers, look, I I grew up in a time where where Dodger fans kept saying 1988, 1988, and I'm like, dude, you were two years old in 1988. Stop talking about it. So don't pretend that, that Dodger fans are above Giants fans. And look, you haven't won the World Series yet, so let's calm down with this idea that that we're bitter Dodger and we're bitter Giants fans. You haven't won yet. You've won one game of the World Series. When you win the World Series, I'll give you the props for that. But that doesn't mean that that the Giants fans can't take credit and bask in their three championships because since 88 we've been the world series four times you've been actually we've been the world series five times you've been one time so let's calm down with this idea that 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 um the giants fans don't have any right to talk because we do and i've never met a giants fan who talks about the world series in new york i've never met a dodger fan who talks about the world series they won playing in new york it's about now it's since 1988 the dodgers have been to one world series the giants have been to five and the giants have won three of those so let's 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 calm down but you know let's win a world series before we talk about about which which franchise is better at the moment you know i spent over a decade living in the bay area and i if i'm not going to speak for him but i think maybe what he was getting at was because they were all around me including some family members giants fans just seemed really smug and acted as if they had those three world championships before you actually did now you have them you're right but leading up to that, when you didn't have any, still acted that way. And the Giants were always treated as royalty, getting that new stadium. And the, here are the Oakland A's sitting there, the real champions of the Bay. And they're still stuck in the same, you know, garbage coliseum. Well, the, I mean, I mean, that's that's Oakland. That's the city of Oakland's fault. That's not the what? Giants' well, fault. Well, it was they, actually the Giants' fault. The stadium. No, that was the Giants' well, the, fault well, because of well, those yes, South Bay rights. They, 
Well, that well, the, well. First of all, the A's gave the Giants those rights. By the way, well, they thought uh, they were going to get gave, them back, though. Well, they did. That's so. That's not the Giants' fault. The A's gave up the rights. That's not. I mean, they gave it to the Giants. What? You can't be upset with Shady. the Giants. The A's gave up those South <laughs> Look Bay it, rights. Jeff, they, you know this. <laughs> if the Giants hadn't pulled that, the A's would be playing in a shiny new stadium in San Jose, California. Right. Years ago, they would have had that done. It would have cleared the way for the Raiders to have figured out their stadium situation. So all the stadium woes in the Bay Area all trace back to the San Francisco Giants front office. <laughs> And well, it's, if they didn't build the new park too, they'd be the Tampa Bay Giants as well. I mean, if Bonds didn't show up, <laughs> that's and, a good point. The new park, they'd be the Tampa Bay Giants. But look, the, the city of Oakland can decide. I mean, they can still decide. I think to build a stadium, and, and the Raiders might stay because they haven't really. Have they still even started building the stadium in Vegas? They, uh, look to me. Yeah, they I, just, I think the they Raiders just should, broke ground. I think the Raiders should stay. I think Oakland deserves the Raiders. Um, the the fans are very passionate there. Look, they they throw bottles at Donald Penn as he's driving away. I mean, they love they love the Raiders, and I wish they would have stayed. I'm not a big fan of relocation. I don't, especially in the NFL. I don't think the Chargers coming to LA solves anything. I don't think the the Rams coming to LA really solved anything. I know the NFL wanted a stadium there because they can make it their NFL headquarters west. I get all that, um, but I think the Raiders should stay, and they should have found a way to to work it out. What people don't understand about the Raiders and, and you're Raiders fan, you know this is really the the Mark Davis is the is the poorest of owners. It sounds awful to say that, but he does not have all this cash laying around to build a stadium like Cronky did to just throw down a check to pay the relocation fee and to build a brand new stadium. So that Oakland, the city of Oakland, if you want the Raiders or you want a new stadium for the A's, you have to pay for it. All right, return to your corners, gentlemen. We'll let you continue this on the other side. We've got one more break. Dodgers, one nothing right now in the World Series. We'll preview game two for you coming up. This is Outkick the Coverage. Jason and Jeff in for Clay here on Fox Sports Radio. As always, we're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Jason Martin, Jeff Schwartz. In for the great Clay Travis. He's back tomorrow. Dodgers, Astros back at it tonight. 3-1 victory in game one as Kershaw struck out 11. The Dodgers with a 1-0 lead. And Justin Turner broke it open in the bottom of the sixth after a 1-1 tie. Hit a two-run home run. But if you ask him, the hero was Mr. Taylor. I think CT's the hero. Uh, you know, he got us on the board early. He drew the two-out walk, uh, stayed in the zone, and, and gave me the opportunity. So uh, that's what he's been doing for us all year long. Uh, he's the spark plug at the top of our lineup, and when he goes, we go. He definitely was a spark plug last night. First pitch off of Dallas Keuchel, and that thing was a moonshot. That thing was out in a hurry. About 108 miles per hour, I believe, was the exit velocity. Almost escaped Chavez Ravine, aided, of course, by the 103-degree heat last night in Los Angeles, and that stadium was on fire itself, not just because of the heat. It was loud and it was energetic. Here's what Justin Turner had to say about the home confines. This place was the most electric I've ever seen it, um, which it should be. You know, the first World Series here in 29 years, our our fans are fired up. They're pumped. Uh, The buzz around the city is is crazy, and, uh, you know, obviously we're all excited to, to be able to let them enjoy this with us. I believe there are people still trying to get home from last night if you saw some of the traffic reports last night. Jeff, we've got about a half minute left. What do you expect tonight in Game 2? I think Verlander probably gets it done tonight. It'll be the first World Series win in the history of the Astros franchise if he does. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, two to one, maybe even three to two, maybe one nothing. But I think Verlander has to win this game tonight. The Astros know their backs are against the wall if they don't win tonight. So I think the Astros scrap a couple runs across and win this game. Danny, three seconds. Dodgers, Astros. <laughs> Dodgers, don't sleep on Rich Hill. All right, there you hear it from our Dodgers expert. Tomorrow, Clay Travis is back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Jeff for helping me fill in. We'll see you tomorrow on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. we got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that. But there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.